Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Welcome back. In this episode, we welcome Tim Dittmer on board. Tim is head of goalkeeping at the FA, and he was kind enough to come and give his time up to discuss his role and his experiences within the England camps. We also went into depth around goalkeeper coaching and practices, as well as topics around specialisation and advice for dealing with goalkeepers. Tim is one of those people who really cares passionately about what he does, and whenever I speak to him, he's often striving for ways to improve his thinking and working. He's a great colleague to work with and I hope you enjoy this conversation with him. If you're interested in the FA Goalkeeper Conference, that's on Sunday the 15th of April at St George's Park and can be booked online now. If you're in Liverpool and want to get some more support around goalkeeping, we have a free CPD event this coming Tuesday evening, that's the 5th of February at the County FA and you can book online at liverpoolfa.com. This was also the first episode that we screen live on YouTube. It's probably something that we'll do more of if that's of interest to you. So that's all the notices for now and enjoy this one with Tim Dittmer. Welcome on board. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Uh, thanks for coming. We've been trying to um, get this one teed up for probably about a year now, haven't we? Yeah. And the stars have finally aligned. It is uh, 1st of February 2019. The snow's outside. You've battled your way in from Warrington. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're going to be a bit progressive today and try something new because this is the first time um, that we are going on YouTube live. So I don't know if anyone's actually watching yet, probably not, but we'll see if, um, see if anyone joins us on that one. And the reason being is uh, we find that after speaking with Keith Webb uh, a couple of weeks ago on the last episode, it was a bit more of a natural natural conversation so um, we've got loads of questions that have come in uh, off people from Twitter which is really great Um, hopefully give us a bit of a a framework for a conversation anything that we don't answer pick up on pick up on any channel later down the line yeah Yeah. no problem at all yeah so um, yeah I've been really looking forward to this one uh, for a while now because I think um, since we met a good few years ago now five yeah, Ish. we've had many a debate and discussion around goalkeeping and practice and what have you. But um, before we kick off, star sixes. Yeah, I'm glad that's come up. Early. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it out of the way. Come um, on. Which bit do you want? Well, you've kept it very quiet because I, I went down the uh, the rabbit hole last night and I, and I found you in a Republic of Ireland shirt. That's right. Yeah. So where do you want to start? You start from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I was. Um, as, as a youngster when I played for Liverpool I was um, <clears throat> ended up ended up playing for Ireland uh, in kind of like the 19s kind of 20s kind of age group so my, my mother's Irish and, and obviously her all, her all her ancestors are Irish from uh, from County Wicklow so ended up playing um, so fast forward <clears throat> roughly 15 years and um, obviously know, know a few people obviously from the game people like Jason McAteer Lee Carsley people like that and uh Jason was putting together the Republic of Ireland team. Uh, they were obviously, um, I was obviously first first choice, um, I, I, obviously above Shea Given and uh, Paddy <laughs> Kenny and people like that. Um, so no, they, I think they were struggling to get uh, to get the lads out out of uh, out of the clubs because they're all coaching. Uh, so they asked me if I'd be willing to play. Um, 
So my initial reaction was, you know, amazing opportunity to go and play in such an event, and it is an amazing event. Um, so I just checked checked first whether it'd be okay from an FA point of view, from uh, from obviously working for England, which it was. Uh, so I jumped at the opportunity to go and do it. Uh, my initial reaction was, I was I was a, I haven't played in golf for kind of five years now. So since I've been at the FA, I'm obviously my role is a bit more strategic. So I'm on the pitch coaching for 100 days and probably off it for kind of 250 doing all, doing the other stuff um, versus when you're in a club you tend to join in and join in with the players you know whatever age group you're working with and do a bit dive around so I hadn't actually saved a ball for probably five years some would argue I hadn't saved one for five years before <laughs> that also um, so I was a bit I was a bit pessimistic really about actually being able to save it especially given the standard of the lads who were playing um, so I, I approached the tournament and uh, I was more than comfortable with the ball at my feet because I, I do a lot of serving, do a lot of kicking. I'm good with the ball at my feet, so I was like, right, I'll be fine with that. Just concentrate on, on keeping it out of the net. So um, I ended up in the tournament. Um, I think game. I think it was game two where, where it happened. Was it? Yeah, it was game two. So we lost the first game. Really unfortunate. I had a man sent off. Lost the first game two 0 against Scotland. Um, we struggled four v you know four v five eventually. And then uh, second game was against Wales. Everything was going well. Phil Babb turned round, passed it back from about I don't know twenty yards away. No one in my half, so I'm obviously looking up up the pitch to see how I can receive it, and then obviously pass it forward. And as I as I'm receiving it, I'm I'm still looking up, and it's literally gone under my foot. Oh. <laughs> so it's gone under my foot. So I've spun round to try and get it. Realised I couldn't get it, but then realised we'd kind of talked about. Um, before the game, that if you, if if as a team you let a goal in, it's probably the best time to kind of counter attack because your team is celebrating, they're out of shape. So whenever you let a goal in, just play. So I've just picked the ball up, put it down, and tried to play. So pl- tried to play it up to Owen Coyle, who wasn't looking, but he got <laughs> intercepted, <laughs> and they came straight back down. Luckily, I saved it at the bar. But um, yeah, I, it, it'd be fair to say that I got a little bit of stick after. <laughs> My phone battery actually ran out uh, when I got back to the changing room because there was that many messages and Twitter things and all that and got a bit of stick. Um, so it was funny, but luckily in, in that game, I was, I was distraught because um, it would have meant we'd lost the game and kind of been out of the tournament, really. But at the end of the game, I was, I was, I was offered the chance to be able to make a good save and, and win the game for us, which I did. So the lads kind of, it got papered over. Really. Yeah. So I got away with it from that point of view. Um, but no, it, it was... I wouldn't change it. It was no. so. It was funny. It was. It was. It was a funny moment. I'm definitely going to go down the rabbit hole and see if I can find that on uh, on YouTube. Oh, you'll be able to find it. You'll be able to find it. <laughs> well, I feel your pain. I, I uh, Anthony Smith, our um, our development manager at Liverpool FA, on uh, on Tuesday night, instead of watching my beloved Newcastle <laughs> beat Man City, he uh, he wrote me into playing futsal on uh, on Tuesday, and it was it was the first time I've played futsal in probably four or five years and I, I, we had to have a quick recap of the new laws mm. around the, the goalkeeper and I uh, I only managed to score I think two own goals and um, and play a back pass to the goalkeeper who couldn't obviously couldn't receive couldn't it because he'd already played it out to me yeah I made myself look completely stupid but <laughs> got a good sweat on anyway um, so yeah you so you mentioned your role at the moment so why don't you tell us a bit more about yeah current role uh, what's led to that and what what a kind of typical week or month looks like yeah, at the yeah sure um, so I, I'm five years now at the FA originally came in as a as a goalkeeping coach and coach educator to, to 
um, solely work on the kind of uh, level three and four awards, which would be the youth award, the advanced youth award, and, and the goalkeeping B license and UEFA B license, uh, as well as coaching the under 19 and a lot of the other development teams. So that lasted for about two years, three years, um, which I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing. It was great, I have to say. I really enjoyed that role. Um, then I made the step over just to do international football, which means just the teams. So I stepped over to the men's teams to like lead the coaching on that. So I kind of headed up the, the goalkeeping parts of everything from 15s to 21, um, which is about putting together like a strategy and getting a, getting a, a common message in place and coaching the way we wanted to coach, selecting how we wanted to select, um, recruiting the right staff to work with that and embedding what we do into the, the full programme. Uh, so another kind of two years doing that and then we had a little bit of a, a restructure uh, or reshuffle about 12-18 months ago um, where we decided to bring all the, the goalkeeping departments back together really because we'd been kind of split up so uh, my job title was changed then to um, like head of goalkeeping which basically means I'm responsible for um, senior men, senior women, um, men's development teams, women's development teams and the goalkeeping coach education and the talent ID. So kind of there's five strands to it really. Um, uh, I don't necessarily lead and tell people what to do. I'm, I'm more a, a bringing together of people and common thought um, and trying to help people in the right direction. So obviously what we want to achieve as, a, as an FA of obviously winning winning the World Cups in four years and also uh, to you know unite the game, inspire the nation and do that by everything we do really. So. Um, privileged to have some great people uh, across the department. There's kind of 19 uh, goalkeeping staff, so to speak, in the in the across all them them formats. Uh, some really talented people who definitely specialise in what they do, and uh, I think I think they're starting to add massive value to the the wider program. Really. Yeah. So you would you would you head up all those those 19 goalkeeper coaching staff yeah yeah. and do you still get get on the pitch yourself much sorry yeah that's a bit of a miss so I'm currently uh, in my third season with the under 21s right um, so uh, I work with AD Boothroyd as the head coach I've been the goalkeeping coach of the 21s for three seasons now um, so you, you qualify for two years into European finals and then in the in the first year you go to Toulon which is a prestigious tournament in mm. France every year so I've done that now for three years um, I also still actively go and work with work on goalkeeping camps deliver some coach education uh, support all the other coaches and how they coach and generally just get around and try and make people think about what they're doing really yeah, I think you've done well there because I mean how important is is it to you that you know with within your role that you you, you still keep yourself grounded and, and get on the pitch not in terms of just coaching but also coach educating as well yeah I think it's really important you can't afford to um, you're going to bring the star sixes one back now you can't take your eye off the ball um, from from that point of view it's important that you stay current it's important that you're able to relate to the players and whatever the current trends are at that time um, and also also that your knowledge is actually applied it's not just on a, on a flip chart or on a on a powerpoint you know this is something that we did with the 21s or this is something that we worked on with the coaches at any given club um, and then ultimately the ability to pass on that um, that insight or suggested knowledge onto, or onto, onto coaches at whatever level they're at uh, is, is ultimately tests the robustness and quality of what you're, what you're suggesting or doing. Yeah and, and well when you say passing on the knowledge that was 
it just reminded me of the last time I saw you, which was just before Christmas, wasn't it? Down yeah. at the Belfry. So in our, oh, yeah. our grassroots unit, I think there was about uh, 80 of us down there, the whole grassroots unit, and yourself and AD came and delivered a... Uh, well, it was a, a, a brilliant presentation, I have to say. You, uh, you were very self-deprecating, but I thought your, uh, your presentation skills were, were, were brilliant. But the, the detail and the kind of um, the openness mm. uh, and the amount that you were able to share with us, I, I know all, all our guys really found That's it useful. Good. I don't know if you want to go into any more, more detail around yeah. that. And uh, well, you, you say knowledge. I would say suggested knowledge because it's... it's the it's dependent on whether it's applicable in whatever format or whatever environment situation you work in. So um, it's definitely one of my approaches that I'm, I'm, I'm more suggesting ideas and, and ways of doing things than telling. Hundred percent. It's definitely got more. It carries more weight if it, if it uh, if the two if the two ideas meet and it makes you evolve your own ideas and approach rather than be put upon by someone who lets the ball go under the foot in a <laughs> six-a-side tournament. Um, so definitely that uh, I'm definitely open to challenge, and because um, it makes me better if people can think something I do can can be better. Um, I think we're all we're all just having a go, aren't we? You know, and we're all just having a go at what we think's right in, in ultimately trying to make players better and make teams win. Um, so I'm by no means suggesting that I've got the right way. No. And uh, I think I think to, to to deliver that kind of message with authenticity and with um, humility is important and I don't think I'll ever change that no and that was what came across to me was the chemistry between you and AD mm. so there, there seemed to be you know real a real double act but I get the sense that um, there is that openness to challenge and um, that willingness to kind of I guess not accept the status quo and, and, and to push things on yeah. so how, how does that work between the two of you um, that would definitely be you would be accurate in what you say so I think it's um, it's healthy to be willing to be wrong otherwise you'll never try anything and find anything out so if you're not willing to step out of your comfort zone as a, as a coach or an educator or whatever you know you're never going to stretch yourself and, mm. and go to the next level so I would say AD's got that, that characteristic and I have that you're willing to get something wrong Yeah. and, and how that would play out um, in a session so I would have been with the 21s goalkeepers times many where um, we're doing an exercise and say right lads this is um, this is where the ball starts you're going to receive it from here there might be some pressure you respond to that pressure and then uh, this is where the second ball will come from and you come up with a solution to the scenario and we'd have a couple of goes at it and it'd look absolutely awful and it would have gone wrong And it'd be... so then we would might start the session and say um, what, what's going on here, lads? Are we, what, so, what what might the scenario be then? What what I mean, if you can give an, an okay. example of. So, um, let's say the goalkeeper starts in the middle of the goal. Um, when the a, a, a ball appears thirty yards out, which they're going to receive as a pass. As they receive it as a pass, they've got to give a certain support position. As they're getting into that support position, the person that they're passing it to would be constantly moving and changing position. Okay. So they've got to decide where and how they pass it. Yep. But they don't know what type of pass it's going to be. After that, they might have to reposition to face a shot from any given distance, angle or outcome. Um, so it might look like, like, uh, like, it might look a bit messy. And I would stop it and say, right, what's going on here? Is there anything we need to change? Is it too hard, too easy? Is it unrealistic? And the lads sometimes would say, yeah, that's, that's too far away or that's an unrealistic position. 
to them we would we would have a minor debate on the pitch and change something or they would say no no it's fine it's just too hard but we need to get it right so having that ability having that uh, approach where you can be wrong and, and accept that you haven't got all the answers and all the setup and stuff is, is important to, to show the players that you're willing to take a risk because you want them to yeah. so I think I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there that's good so um, my point my point being is that just willing to get it wrong and willing to try things gives you the ability to stretch yourself and learn learn further things because that's what we ask the players to do ultimately um, so I think we should also model that as as staff and as educators or, or whatever you want to see yourself yeah and I guess that you, you've got that unique position on the coaching staff where just purely down to the ratio of numbers mm. you, you you get the chance to develop those um those real significant relationships mm-hmm. with it because you're only working with how many three you'd probably work with four max really yeah. yeah yeah so how does that how does that evolve as you go through the camp yeah so although that's a what you mentioned there as a, as a benefit can also be uh, a benefit and a privilege can also be overused and a, and a, a real risk uh, as a goalkeeping coach you have got the ability to to form a tight knit relationship with three or four goalkeepers over any given period of time but that can very quickly become unhealthy. Um, one of the nat- I think you might you might correct me if I'm wrong. Here. One of the natural instincts or built into us as humans is that we want to um, impress people and help people and gain feedback from uh, them looking at us, them smiling at us, yeah. them needing us. The ability to be wanted is sorry. The need to be wanted is quite deep within us. So when you've got three or four people to provide that need. To, to them you actually do things that makes them feel nice makes them feel comfortable makes them feel like they need you giving them a lot of support and you actually might create um, you actually might create too much of a, a comfort zone and a, and a comfort blanket and, a, and an easy environment for them um, and, and where that line is drawn between um, them wanting you versus them needing you um, it is easily overstepped so you've got to manage that that relationship and that environment really carefully that you're not you're not creating a false too nice too comfortable uh, excuse environment it's got to be there's got to be some common ground where you're agreeing that part of it is going to be difficult yeah. part of it you're going to struggle with part of it you're not going to like and uh, and agree in contract that you're going to provide that kind of unconditional support but it, it's not a fake support it's a so what when you were a keeper, mm. where did you sit on that spectrum, and and how how did your experiences with the coaches that you work with shape you, who yeah, you are today? So I was into the I, I was into the position quite quite late, really, kind of professionally. So I was like fourteen before I got any proper coaching, and at fourteen um, you're a little bit like what's going on here, you know, especially when you're straight into. I went to Blackburn Academy at fourteen, so it was a bit of an eye opener. Just just the actual practices we were doing. I was getting my head around there. And then I did sign my scholarship at Liverpool and was really fortunate to work with. Uh, there wasn't a goalkeeping coach then, by the way. Uh, so when I signed, uh, the goalkeeping coach was part time. He would only come in, Billy Stewart, fantastic guy, yeah. would only come in um, two afternoons a week. Uh, so basically, all of our training was just with the, with the outfield players. So we didn't have any specific goalkeeping training for every session. So Billy would come and, and the two or three, four of us would go out in the afternoon and do like, an, like a two-hour session and, and like really refine our, our kind of goalkeeping skills, so to speak. Um, 
and I have to say I think Billy was a bit of an anomaly really with how he coached and the questions he asked you and he was he was challenging and demanding of you in a different way such as um, he would he wanted you to understand the any given exercise he wanted to provide um, scenarios that you had to come up with solutions for and then you had to justify why you make any given decision right. it wasn't drills and him telling you what to do it was scenarios for you to come up with them um, so that was that, that was that was my kind of grounding as, as a goalkeeper that which I think teed me up nice as a coach um, so my experience of, of being in them two, two nice environments didn't really happen when I left Liverpool I went into uh, like conference conference north non-league scenarios where you didn't really have a goalkeeping coach I, I did it all myself so I kind of missed out on that side of it and then when I started doing the coaching I probably saw and witnessed more of the stuff that I, I think is a bit more dangerous um, like the question you asked so um, what was the question? Well go don't yeah dangerous tell us more about that about that well, I think dangerous is where you create an environment that's too comfortable okay um, too friendly um, too close to the to the goalkeeper is too too friendly there has to be a boundary yeah yeah Okay. Yeah. So the yeah the, the question was yeah. So those coaches that you work with in your experience as a player, what, what you know, you're talking about that that spectrum of want and need. Yeah. Did did you see yourself sitting anywhere kind of constant on that on that spectrum, or did it did it vary? Yeah, I think like when I say when I say want and need, I I never really had that because I didn't get the coaching and support. Yeah. Uh, at, at that age, so I had to kind of just I had to survive myself really. Um, but when I, when I see it now. Um, I think the, I think some some goalkeepers at any given age, any given level, uh, want to get their eye in, to, to feel good, to just just get a good feel of the ball, that kind of stuff. Versus what they need, okay, which is the game, which is chaotic, which is random, which is difficult, which is ugly, um, which is unpredictable. Mm. So them two things have got massive massive difference. Um, you know, I watched, I went to watch Man United versus. Burnley the other night, and um, I watched the uh, I watched Tom Heaton warm up. Tom's a fantastic goalkeeper. I watched him warmed up, and his warm up was very structured, very repetitive, very comfortable. All very um, he got out everything that he wanted from it. Everything the ball went to the right place. He knew where everything was, um, and then he went into the game. I think he got man the match, and he was outstanding in the game. And the saves that he made in the game were were, were unpredictable, random. Um, he had to solutionise. He had to uh, improvise. Uh, he had to come up with unique actions, given the, what the scenario was given. So I'm just interested in that kind of what person, what what person, what any given person perceives that they want mm. versus what, what they actually need. And, and and deep down, we need you know adaptable, athletic decision makers who are able to. You know, solutionise on the spot. Mm. So, so surely that kind of um, mental bit that you want to give yourself before the game and during the week has to has to replicate. Uh, the, the, the analogy I can draw from that is um, I am. We were talking about golf before we hit, yeah, hit yeah. record, and I uh, said I'm a frustrated handicapper trying to get down to single figures. Mm. And, and what I do before just I idols. tee off yeah before I tee off you can't do that in a comp <laughs> unfortunately the rules don't allow you but my uh, my pre uh, pre-comp routine shall we say on the putting green is um, I like to just knock a few 
putts in yeah. a few, few short putts before I go onto the tee just give myself a confidence boost which is great until you miss one and, you, and then you, you're going on the first tee having missed a, a, a two three footer and, and as soon as you get uh, onto the first green you get stood over one of them it's like oh no and I read, I read a book um, a book by Bob Rotella who's a, a, goal, a psychologist it's really interesting read actually for just in coaching in general comes at some, with real, some real common sense principles but he, he advocates completely against doing any sort of short putting for that reason yeah. um, you know, he, he said just, just get, get the feel for some distance and get out there and, and accept that it's going to be messy and chaotic yeah, yeah. and it's never going to go to plan yeah yeah um, so actually that, that probably um, brings us on to a question that uh, that we got in from Twitter so warm ups so um, match day warm ups yeah so uh, do you think how much of a hand do you think Tom would have had in that warm up would he have yeah no that would be that would have been his warm up yeah. and, and his routine and I understand I completely understand that there is a place in sport and in anything for routine and getting yourself into a mental position where you feel right um, I suppose what I'm challenging is what happens when it doesn't go right mm. and when you haven't got the time allotted to put yourself in that position. You know, the bus is late, kickoffs move, there's bad weather, um, you know, you get disrupted, things like that. Have you got a strategy for when you can't do exactly what you want? Yeah. And then you've got to do what you need. Okay, so let's run through two scenarios. Well, yeah, let's go through a few scenarios yeah. then. Let's go. Um, grassroots team. Let's say uh, teenage years. Yeah. So they've got a goalkeeper who might be starting to specialise, and we'll come on to that. Yeah. That's a hot one. Um, let's get, run through two. So what? Uh, the first scenario is there's only one coach and no parents, so the coach is on his or her own. Yeah. And then the second scenario is there might be two coaches. Yeah. So how, what advice would you give to those those two? Um, Match day warm up. So coach on their own. Um, it depends how they're warming the rest of the players up but I think it would be a case of um, the people a certain amount of the players would be able to go with the go with the goalkeeper and perform some kind of exercise where they're all getting something out of it right. whether that be a passing drill into a ball striking drill into a crossing drill into anything so so having players that are able just to work with the goalkeeper or that unit to do some stuff um, I would also say to that like if you uh, just just I don't know if anyone's going to listen to this but if they are, if they are um, just picture what the first five things your goalkeeper does in a game and I would imagine they are that probably two of them are going to be passes or kicks one of them will be coming out to claim a ball from like a ball over the top or a through ball and then maybe one or two of them might be some kind of like 1v1 or basic kind of scenario save so um, what you end up equipping yourself for if you go through this routine is like every eventuality under the sun so I think it's probably sometimes better to do like a themed warm-up where kind of anything can happen and it's just more of like a rotation gamey type scenario practice where there's a pass then there's a you know I'm going to kick it at you a bit harder now and then I'm going to run at you and yeah I like just, that just equipping yourself equipping yourself physically and mentally for I'm just going to deal with what happens yeah getting off to a good start yeah yeah and um, and even you know just from what we said before actually sorry sorry just on top of that and doing it at, doing it at intensity as well so putting yourself in because you see some warm ups and it's really relaxed really slow they don't really look physically like engaged so actually doing it at the intensity and, and the right mindset that you would in mm. in a game sorry I no that's fine um, so it just got me thinking there about 
even at, at, at that age, at, at grassroots level, involving the goalkeeper in designing and helping shape the warm-up mm. and actually getting across because they might have things that they've done previously that, that have never been questioned before that are just yeah. common practice but actually explaining look these are the first five things that might well happen or likely to happen mm. at the start of the game let's get you off to a good start so let's maybe try and practice some of these in the warm-up yeah yeah, and that would be that would just be for normal coaching as well wouldn't it you know you end up sometimes you end up practicing you, you, you ultimately need to wait where you place the importance on what you want to be good at or what you want to develop yeah. and if you wait it too much on perfect scenarios of predictable balls or predictable service of where they're going to go you, you neglect some of the things that you need to be good at around decision making and you know solutionising from any given situation yeah new word I've not heard this word before solutionising nah. have you made it up I, I might have done yeah <laughs> I must have done I like is it not a word I don't know well, well it is now we'll google it um, okay uh, so you talked about the the you know the first action that the goalkeeper might have. Mm. Um, one of the other things that came in was around feet and hands and the ratio of. And wasn't, the, wasn't there a question about if there was a um, a group on their own and a group? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. So the, the question was uh, if the coach was on his or his or her own, mm. and then if the coach happened to have an assistant to help. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, I still think the assistant should use some some other players as well to you know facilitate that kind of. Multi-functional warm-up yeah. for for players and for a goalkeeper. Yeah, I find um, my own practice. What I'm what I'm doing now, we we take sixteen. So the the, mo- the maximum that our league allow um, on a match day for eleven aside is sixteen players. Mm. So I, I I find that we we tend to just have a phase of play. Yeah, which just starts with the goalkeeper um, with a back four and a mid- midfield four against a um, I think a midfield four and a, and a front three so 8v8 yeah. so eight eight eight. Um, yeah and it, it, that in terms of trying to just draw any sort of realism out it, 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 it tends to work what, we, what you've sacrificed majorly in terms of the goalkeeper I find and that is just repetition yeah. repetition of, of being involved on the, on, on the ball with yeah. the hands and the feet yeah. and that, that, is a, that is a consequence isn't it of doing that and that requires some mental agility from the goalkeeper to be comfortable with that but to also from a coaching point of view how do, you, how do you give them a bit more repetition on that so it's a challenge that we've come across with the England teams so I'll give an example when, when goalkeepers come in and start working with us so you might get a goalkeeper from a club I, I'll give an example I'm sure he won't mind me using him um, goalkeeper from uh, Newcastle called Freddie Woodman who's been in the system for a long time been really successful as an England goalkeeper uh, won the Euros won the World Cup Golden Glove so when he would have been a little bit younger and came in he would have been very um, logical logical thinker very set in wanting to feel good and do how he wanted and he'd want to go through some kind of routines where he does some catching and you know then some more catching and then a bit more catching all predictable and then he went, and he'd go through this routine. It might take about 35, 40 minutes. Um, so we, we challenged that, and we didn't challenge it from a point of view that we just challenged it for the sake of it. When you go to a World Cup, sometimes, uh, believe it or not, you're not allowed on the pitch before the game. On At the, all. On the grass before the game to warm up. So how do you get your 40 minutes worth of stuff in mm. when you're not on the grass? Um, then what about if you're late for a game and you've only got 15 minutes? What do you prioritise then? Do you prioritise the 400 catches that you're going to do? Or do you prioritise some of the more decision-making, bigger movement stuff? 
So being agile enough mentally and physically in that kind of warm up to know where do you want to be at the end of it is really important. So how did you deal with that then? Well, we, we practiced scenarios where he only got a certain amount of time to warm up. Uh, we also took some things away from him, right? So you're, you're only allowed to, to like kind of not quite pick four of your exercises, but right, if you want to do 40 catches, you're only allowed to do 10 of something. What do you want to do? So he had to then pick the bits that he wanted to do and he, he, he ended up being becoming and is really agile in his, in his ability to, to get himself game ready. Um, he's got multiple warm-ups that, that can last from 10-15 minutes all the way up to 40. So having that ability to do both is key for the, ready for that what-if, which is a big question that we all need to ask ourselves. Yeah. There's grassroots coaches out there nodding on along in agreement going, ah, it's not just me that has to deal with that then yeah, and yeah. with these because uh, you know you, you will turn up to a facility and maybe the previous game has kicked off late without you realising it and you've got literally five minutes turnarounds to team talk warm up get the game kicked off yeah. you know these are common scenarios that yeah, so two years ago Freddie won the World Cup um, with the under 20s and they weren't allowed on the pitch for certain games and stuff like that and they dealt with it and succeeded. Last summer we went to the Toulon tournament, uh, which is a fantastic tournament, but I think it'd be fair to say that the, the facilities and the organisation is, is, is not up to the standard of FIFA and UEFA. So we get through to the final and we're playing Mexico, um, but the, sem- the third and fourth place playoff is being played on the pitch um, before our game. So what happens goes to extra time and penalties. So obviously you think they'll push our kickoff back. No, no. Um, what, what we'll do the tournament organiser says when they start taking penalties you can go out and warm up in the other half <laughs> Okay, but you're forgetting that there's there's two teams of who've all got let's say 18 in the squad so there's 36 players add four coaches per team so you've got like 40 odd players in a half of a pitch so as that was happening as a, as a coach I was absolutely I, I was certain and confident that the goalkeepers would be able to adapt and put themselves in that situation with no issue at all and he did do and we went on and won he played well in the game I'm not putting it down to being able to warm up but just another example of doing things in your, in your development kind of years and ages that you might have to call upon later down the line you never know when that might happen no no and it's uh, well there's a number of ways I want to kind of take you off here but while we're on the international stuff mm-hmm. one of the the things that really struck me in your presentation at, at Christmas mm-hmm. from the 21s was the the data and the stats yeah. and the use of or caution with that you, you know you um, you presented that I don't know if you want to kind of enlighten some of the listeners yeah. with, with that um, so I think it's probably a part of football that hasn't been explored um, or, or, or delved into as much as some other sports um, I personally don't think it's the, the holy grail or the be all and end all but I'm, I'm, I definitely want to open myself up to saying right, what, do, what does the data say about certain situations and certain parts of games so I've kind of thrown myself into that part into that, that world a little bit to kind of find out find out if what I'm suggesting is right actually is right um, so if I'm suggesting that any, any given goalkeeper is a, is a top goalkeeper and they're a good player and the list of that are they actually having an impact on the game positively 
uh, versus is it just anecdotal or it looked nice it looked like a good technique or he could never have saved that or it was the wrong pass um, so we've devised a um, we've decided dis- devised and designed a metric system which measures um, our in possession game and our out possession game uh, and what impact it has on the opposition so that gives us some objective data is that right yep I always get them too mixed up gives us some objective data from games which uh, from one game isn't enough but from a series of games becomes more accurate and we've been able to start asking ourselves um, if we're suggesting that goalkeepers need to exploit space more in possession and uh, manage space more out of possession are they actually doing that in the games when it matters um, so we've, we've, we've coded um, clipped whatever you want to call it probably just short of 400 England youth games now and senior games so we've got some some objective data on like what certain goalkeepers are doing in certain games against certain nations and formations under different different differing am- amounts of pressure. So we're starting to know like what good looks like. I hate, I hate saying that. What good looks like? It's <laughs> a terrible saying. Um, what good might um, might be like on the pitch? What might people see? What might what might you feel when you're doing it? So. Um, yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, I mean, because one of the things that impressed me was uh, the, like you said, you, you 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 didn't just take each game at face value. You kind of had different gradings of games, and I think you were looking at some stats from the World Cup and yeah. and how they um, was it the possession uh, percentage retention and um, and what struck me was the the players' response mm. and and how they engaged with with the with the stats. Yeah, so we <clears throat> we do measure possession. Uh, we do measure where they pass it versus the success rate and then we also add a layer on top of that is a layer on top of that of when they were under pressure so you might have a hundred passes in a game but only five of them were you under pressure on so that that percentage or that stat is then skewed so we we measure the we measure the the times that they're under pressure and what the drop off or increases there so ideally you want goalkeepers who are able to keep possession of the ball depending what your tactical strategy is under pressure and, and without pressure, um, and then work out what games they may may have dropped off versus what games they have succeeded higher. Um, so yeah. So how do you uh, how, how do you define under pressure? Time or space. Okay. Yeah. Example. Um, so back pass. Um, you play it back to me. No striker presses me. I'm under no pressure. So I've got the time, the choice, the space to choose from. You pass it back to me striker presses me I've then got the pressure of time because you're going to you're going to get to me within let's say three seconds um, all the space you're 12 yards away so I've got that pressure of your presence coming onto me okay so that would be a pressure situation yeah because I guess that's still a, a little bit subjective there's got to be a cut off point yeah. where you you say at this point the goalkeeper is under pressure or isn't under pressure yeah and I don't I get asked questions like that quite a lot like well, what's the you know it's like black and white? I don't want it to become a black and white subject. No. So I still want there to be some. I call it feel. I want there to be some kind of feel and and craft knowledge behind it from the coach and the player where they say, well, what what's pressure to you might not be to me. So Edison's a great example of that. People say, wow, he's played out under great pressure there. Who, who perceives what pressure is for him? Because yeah. how he was brought up and where he was brought up and the scenarios he's been in as a youngster in Brazil, I'm not sure that. 50,000 people around him screaming and someone four yards away from him running really fast is pressure 
So uh, defining that pressure, I think, should still be subjective. And do you think that? Do you think part of that's cultural? Yes, hundred percent. Gone. Goes back to the other the other stuff that I, I believe that we're trying to alter and I don't want to say break, but I will uh, break around us around being about being a bit cautious, about being a bit nervous, about being a little bit risk averse. You know, I think we should take the shackles off a bit more and just be a bit more not flippant about it, but um, take a little bit more risk, um, try things a bit more, especially at younger ages. Yeah. Um, and ultimately what you get out the other end is probably some of the stuff that you're seeing on the telly at the moment from people like Edison and Alison. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's fascinating because, uh, you know, a lot of the the guys I knock around with and, and play football with are obviously reds and blues and, mm. and, you know, they've got two goalkeepers there that are fantastic with the ball at their feet and yeah. it's been really interesting listening to the conversations about, um, certainly from the reds, about uh, how much karma that they feel now whenever the ball's in Alison's feet yeah. it's kind of right we, we trust he knows what he's doing here pressure to him isn't the same as necessarily pressure to somebody else or, yeah. or what we might perceive yeah correct um, I think it's a, it's a really valid point isn't it and you know how how is Ed, um, Alison or, or Jordan giving off that that outward persona of, of making 40,000 people feel calm mm. is it their body shape is it their uh, stance is it their calmness? You know, what is it that makes people feel like that? Um, it actually sums up one of our one of the characteristics that's in our DNA really well. Um, so in, in our in our kind of social section we ask we look for something called presence, which is um, I'll come on to what it is in a minute, but I spoke to Lee Grant from Man United uh, the other day, who's obviously working he's a goalkeeper. Yeah working with De Gea, he's, he's third choice goalkeeper or one of the goalkeepers from United and someone asked him about De Gea and, and what he's like and he, he said um, he's unbelievably laid back, unbelievably laid back and that he can turn up uh, to training and be, be so relaxed and maybe even come across a bit blasé then go out onto the training pitch and be the best person there and he said he's like that in games as well, he said when he's warming up for a game no matter what the occasion whether it's the warm-up or kick-off, he's so relaxed and calm, and, um, and and Lee actually literally quoted how we how we define what presence is, and he 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 said um, his presence affects our players and affects the opposition players. Um, he said, "What do you mean? Well, it positively affects our own players because they then feel relaxed and confident mm. and belief and all that, and the opposition players actually think, bloody hell." This guy's so calm and calculated and, and focused in what he's going to do. So that having a presence that positively affects your own players and adversely affects the opposition players, it's massive, isn't it? That? Yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. And, and there's a slight parallel between um, the Spanish national team and the Man United first team to our Sunday team that I play in. Yeah, <laughs> but we've just uh, we just that's, yeah yeah we've just signed a um, uh, a keeper. Shout out to Kieran. Is uh, a young lad and playing in, at centre half in front of him, he is like having an eleventh outfield player, mm. um, and he has this uh, calmness about him mm. that he demands the ball back back to him, and he's got such a great range of of passing relative to uh, yeah. to us. Um, it just it just relaxes everybody around you, um, and it's it's a joy to play in front of, but it's. Mm. 
I mean, the game's definitely changed, hasn't it, in terms of the, the role of the goalkeeper and yeah. how much more they're being uh, demanded to have the, the skills of an outfield player yeah. um, with the way that the game's progressing. Yeah, no, it, it has. You, you are right in what you're saying. Uh, but that, that doesn't um, cancel out or dismiss the need for um, the more traditional approach as well because there are certain teams who adopt certain tactics where much more emphasis is placed on their out of possession game where they don't need to keep possession short or medium they're just look, looking to kick it to a good area and there's much more emphasis placed on them keeping it out of the net defending the box and defending the space in front of them so there is still a place for the latter um, but if you're looking for the former which is a, a possession based team who are looking to, to, to I'll say it again to solutionise from the back and build up um, that would probably mean they have to be or, or probably need to be coached in a supported in a different way. Yeah. So I think the challenge comes where you're after a certain outcome, but coaching it a certain way. So I think uh, there's definitely still place and time for both. Yeah. Making sure you give the the relevant kind of support needed for the outcome. That's most it. important. And um, I mean, have you ever spoken to any of the the guys about you, you said about you know having fifty thousand people there who are you know screaming at you to or are panicking perhaps and you're trying to and the goalkeeper is trying to keep possession for the team and, and, and play out short hmm. have you ever spoken to any of them and, and, and asked or have they ever told you what you know what's going through their head how does that feel at that moment yeah I think that's yes I have and I think it also comes back to the type of training that you do so for all the training that you do is is comfortable under no pressure you've got as much time as you want you know there's no consequence to your actions that doesn't really match up to what the game looks like. Mm. So if you've got 50,000 people screaming at you and, and making you feel a bit uncomfortable that you're under pressure, you need to get used to, to that, that that uncomfortableness. Is that another word I've made up? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get used to that. So the more the more scenarios and situations that you can put, put them under duress, and um, I'm not suggesting you get 50,000 people behind your goal at training, <laughs> um, the more you put them in that situation, ultimately the more comfortable they'll be. So the lads that I've spoke to about it, I've just had, um, I suppose that the way they've articulated best is um, that they're fully aware of, um, they're fully aware and confident in the qualities that they've got. They know what they're, what they're expected to do on the pitch and it's their job to carry it out. They can't, they can't let um, the opinion and the effect and the feeling that the people behind them are having affect what they're going to do. Mm. So it's having that kind of, that focus on knowing this is my job this is part of what I've got to do, I've got to do it. Yeah. So it's you've got to be quite cold like that. Yeah. And, and just rewinding back to the stats, there's something, you know, quite curious about. So you you would, would you spoke at length at, um, over Christmas about the players' responses and, and um, but obviously being quite measured with those. And yeah. I've, with the, the lads that I coach, we we go into most games, know it, well, in, there's certain games that inevitably the outcome is is not in doubt. You know they're going to lose the game. It's just a question of how many. Yeah. You know, for for a number of you know maturity and and yeah, yeah. Um, developmental reasons. But you know one of the challenges I've got is trying to keep a team motivated mm. and focus on and process and improvement and individual performance and mm. so on. But one of the things we did um, recently, we decided to I just took two clickers down to the game 
and I said look if we want to be a possession based team we want to try and keep the ball I'm just simply going to measure the number of passes that both teams make and we'll, we'll see how we do compared to the other team yeah. so um, I think we lost the game about 9-3 or 8-3 something like that um, but at the end of the game I think we'd made 180 passes to the other team's 140 so actually the la- you know, that was a, uh, a nice way that the lads could go well actually we haven't, we haven't played that badly we've tried to keep the ball down yeah. we've outpassed the opponents and, um, and, and, and yes there's drawbacks to that but it was um, it, that's something that the boys uh, have asked for you know can we keep doing this because mm. it's something that we can measure and start to try and yeah. improve upon if there was I mean is there anything that you would um, perhaps advise on if, if somebody was looking to record some statistics to help their goalkeeper that they were working with in their own team or would it be a yeah. complete no there is you... no there is I think I think when you you're talking about developing years aren't, aren't you yeah so these lads are, are 15 yeah so I, I think this works through all ages and even into senior football really if you're able to be I've come at it from the right view I think when you're trying to improve at something or when you're trying to be successful in any given action I really think you've got to take and look at the intention rather than the outcome Um, so was it a positive decision Um, was it the right decision Um, did you carry out what you intended to do Um, and then actually was it successful and if the answer is yeah great you know it's worked on that occasion if it's not going back what would you change and if, if the actual bit that didn't go wrong was just the, just the technique or the action, um, you wouldn't kind of throw the baby out of the bathwater and say, well, we need to stop doing that now, you know, just put it in behind them or just kick it or mm. kick it off the pitch. Um, you've got to come back from what you're trying to achieve from it, which is the intention, and then work out why the outcome did or did not work. Yeah. Um, I went to watch a game the other morning, went to under-14 game, I won't say where, but it was an academy game between two Cat One academies. Uh, one was a big club and one was uh, a less lesser club, Premiership versus Championship. And um, the Championship club who are definitely, definitely, you know, much, much lower financially and stuff than the, the big club, went 2-0 up within about five minutes. And they had um, they had a striker up front who was really effective. And um, the, the the reason they scored is they were able to get the ball into midfield. Um, the striker who was good isolated one of the, the, the other players they got the ball to him and he was then able to run at them and score so they went 2-0 up and I think they shocked themselves a little bit and the coach um, who was taking the team uh, and the parents behaviour changed towards the team so because they were 2-0 up they still had 76 minutes to play by the way <laughs> they were 2-0 up they then changed and went risk averse around just, just keep it away from our goal. Um, don't take too many touches and lose the ball. Um, and actually, when the ball went off the pitch, the parents were actually discussing about how they could waste time and kick the ball further away and go and get it back. And I'm thinking, wow, these are 14-year-old kids. You want them to get as much contact time and get into as many individual and unit battles against each other as possible during the 80 minutes. And they literally changed the way they were playing. And they went on, they went on to lose six, seven, three. They lost, but they, they were battered in the end. And I was really, I was stood there thinking, wow, they could have got so much more out of that if they just continued to take away, sorry, continued to do what they did done at the beginning, where they had no pressure and they did believe. 
the whole mindset mm. and psyche change and you I, have to really like take the score away from it there sometimes sometimes yeah I, and on the flip side I can kind of empathise a little bit that were there with what they might have been going through because and this is something that um, I'm going to start to start to do delve into um, some data collection myself is mm. you know and I'm, I'm the biggest advocate for um, you know quality motivation understanding the reasons why young people play football mm. um, I get it and I also observe that there are some kids you know certainly at that age that winning is actually important to them yeah. they, they don't go into the game to, to lose no. or to try and lose they, they want to try and win the game and I think we've got to um, understand that and manage their expectations but still try and create that that climate where it is okay to fail it is okay to like you say intention over outcome yeah. um, it's it's tough and, I, and I'm, I'm learning you know I'm bumping along the messy road myself as, yeah, I'm, yeah. as I'm going through it and I'm trying to kind of go with them and you know I want them I don't want to take that competitive edge out of them but on the flip side I don't want the um, the pain of defeat to start to deter from their enjoyment of the experience which might then lead to them dropping out of the game it's yeah. a, it's a, I find it it's no, a really it's, tough it's, balance it's a little bit chicken and egg isn't it um, and I think it linked into one of the questions that were asked that came in around like mistake management in a game because mm. um, ultimately if you become too risk averse you don't do the things that you need to do that will ultimately make you win mm. if you think of any which is the past statistic one and I know Ben Bartlett's been a good one at challenging that and I would agree with him no you know what I played on Sunday 100% pass completion not many of them went forwards Yeah. so I probably didn't actually help the team too much yeah. to progress but yeah sorry I cut you off no no it's, good. it's, a good, it's a good point so I think kind of in response to that question and to sum it up like um, no one no one sets out to, no one makes a decision to intentionally make a mistake yeah. so you don't run out of your goal to clear a ball on purpose to miss it to the striker and then kick it in you know, you don't do that. You, you you make the decision based on you being successful in your outcome. So, what my advice to that person to ask around how you, how you manage mistakes and how you you know get perseverance on performance would be around. Um, I call it like chunking the game, and this is something that I've done with with like real young players, stroke kids, keepers, um, if that's such a thing, and also professionals. So. Um, you can chunk a game down into into actions. So let's say um, let's say your first five things were um, like we said before. You know you, you've you've had two passes, one kick, a through ball, and, and a one v one to save. So them five things you've got to you get to five and you get a point. So how many times you can add up your actions to five? So five consecutive successful actions. Okay. Um, and what that does is it just chunks the game into into like bite-sized bite-sized bits really so instead of like I want to win I want to get everything right you end up maybe doing things in the wrong context whereas if I said to you right go and get your next five things right you would really focus a lot more closely on each of the things so think first thing would pass right get the pass right second thing might be through ball right I'm not going to come for that it's not the right one so you drop off and then you get to five it's like right bang got to five and then you reset so it's not breaking the chain. So you're not breaking the chain. Hmm. If you do get one wrong though, you do break the go chain. Back to zero. Go back to zero. So it just kind of chunks the game up into 
yeah, into like a into smaller bits, so you can try and be successful at each action. Is that something you've used with with young goalkeepers? All, yeah, all yeah. levels, yeah. Really, yeah, it, and it, and you never know whether they're being truthful or not, but they they tend to like it, and it it it, it gives an added focus to what they're doing. So yeah. one of one of the things I've trained as well, couldn't you? Yeah, I really like that, um, and and it's in their control. You know, they yeah. they they own it. Yeah, um, let, me, let me know how many you've got at the end of the session. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things from my experience that I found difficult, and it, it was, um, it exposed itself more when we moved to eleven aside, was um, trying to get the goalkeeper to come and play out, uh, be play high. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that I've said, and, and you'll probably tell me this is um, not a great idea, but just as a general principle, what I've said to our goalkeeper is, um, when we've got the ball in their half, just be halfway between our last defender and the goal line mm-hmm. so imagine just draw a line between that that's about right yeah. yeah and then if you want to draw a line between the ball and the middle of the goal yeah. so there's a kind of crosshair that yeah. you might want to be on but it, it literally took two years of consistent reminding it's probably down to my bad coaching that, that um, he didn't pick it up but one of the things I had to constantly remind him is because it was that that fear of getting lobbed yeah and I said you know it's going to happen um, you know w- the, the goal's eight foot high mm-hmm. and you're five foot four mm-hmm. so the, this is going to happen um, one of the things I had to consistently remind him is you know, if that does happen it's my mistake I'll, I'll take it because I've, I've told you to be there I've asked you to be there um, because in the long term that's I think going to help us to play better football yeah. his, I, his default is to drop drop back further back and further back I think it's important that they understand why they're doing it so if, if the reason for being high and in line with the ball uh, adds more benefit to the the team than the the two a season that go over here. Yeah, I think that's understand that they mm. they they would agree and buy into that importance of doing it. If you're just asking someone to do something with no rationale or reason behind mm. it, they won't do it. Yeah, you know, they don't they don't see the the benefit to it. Um, I remember um, uh, Rafael Benitez used to uh, with his goalkeepers. I'm not sure whether he still does or not, but when the ball was like out semi-wide like that cutback position um, he would ask his goalkeepers to go towards the near post and really step away from the post to to, um, to promote the chances of them cutting out a ball that was played back across goal Right. and his rationale was across the duration of a season you will have more effect on the team by cutting out the ones that go across the goal than the one or two or three that go in at the near post from that position a year and it, it's just it's just a bit of um, I don't know what they call it. It's a breaking tradition, is it? Yeah, it's a breaking tradition, yeah. but it's a little bit of science, really, isn't it? You know that if if you just stand next to your post and stop it in your goal, the first pass doesn't go in the goal, but the second one definitely will. Yeah. So if you stop the first pass, second pass never happens. And and he was he was brilliant at that, saying, no, I want you to cut that out, cut it out, stop it going across. Don't worry about the goal. If it goes in there, I'll take that. And yeah. that was a that was at Premier League and Champions League level. But I'm guessing that's not common practice then. I don't think so, no. No. No, no but it, it what that needs is it needs it needs like a, a real deep discussion and understanding of why you would be in any given position at any given time. Yeah. And then some rationale behind it and, and understanding from everyone. And I think it's that importance of um, being willing to break with tradition and not just and, and challenge commonly accepted practice mm. um, you know I can think of I listened to a really good uh, it was Malcolm Gladwell's podcast Revisionist History 
yeah. and in, I think in the first series, he, um, it's really good actually. He, he, he tells a story of a, uh, a basketball player, I think it was in about the 70s, in the NBA, who started um, taking free throws under arm. Oh, yeah. And uh, his free throw percentage was through the roof. Was it? But it wasn't, that's not the done thing. Take it, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed, yeah, it's in, yeah. It was in, within the rules. And um, apparently, w- with any, uh, you know, with, with basketball players, you're, you're much more likely to score with an underarm than a, than a traditional yeah. shot. Um, and he was, he was getting all sorts of threats and getting so much stick. He actually, I think he reverted back to, yeah, and his, and his free throw percentage went down. But I think that, um, that, yeah, that questioning and, and challenging common practice, and just yeah. why are we doing this? What you know, if we if it's because we've always done it. Yeah, we've had that a little bit with, um, you know, I've, I've done it personally, done it and coached it for years. But since I've been with with England and uh, initially at Man City, around the goalkeeping goalkeepers positioning when the team has the ball, when our team has the ball, and depending what strategy you've got and what formation you play. Um, you need the goalkeeper's position to be very fluid. Um, we call it exploiting space in possession. So depending where the opposition are um, and how many players they're playing with, you need to go find out where that space is you can exploit. So sometimes if the ball's on the left-hand side of the pitch, we would ask the goalkeeper to be on the right-hand side and high. In, are we out of possession here? Or no, in possession. Possession. Yeah. So our team's got the ball, left side centre-half's got it, you would think the goalkeeper would be on the same side as him yeah, and quite deep so he could get the ball. We would sometimes ask him to be on the other side of the pitch. So you'd almost be in the kind of right centre-half position. Yeah, so which then would the right then mean the knock-on effect is the right centre-half can push on or wider, Yeah, the right back can push on or in, so on and so forth. So we would ask them to do that. Now that comes, at, it comes as, well, some consequences come with that around you've left your goal, so does that then become a danger or a risk? Some people may think, yeah. Um, but that would mean then some communication would have needed to have gone on between the player and the, the goalkeeper, whether it be verbal or visual. Um, and then you've got the choice of once, once he's got the ball, he's quite far out of his goal, so what are you going to do about that? If the players stay really wide and spread, uh, the passes become easier for the player. If the players become tighter because he's out of his goal, then you're closer to the goal, but you're not going to keep the ball. Yeah. So um, I think there's some there, that, that would be a traditional thing that we've changed around the fluidity of the support position that we want the goalkeeper to play in yeah yeah there's a lot more demand placed on that and especially with the England team like if the lads have the lads and the, the, the guys girls everyone has to be able to do that in order to help the teams play yeah I guess that um, we're now starting to see the real generation shift in goalkeepers from the back pass law mm-hmm. um, because it you know they are or they seem to be accepted now uh, or demanded to be that 11th outfield player yeah. and, and you know to be involved in possession almost all the time mm. you know there's just never a moment to, to switch off yeah. um, and right. it's, it's you know from a spectator's point of view I, you know, I find it makes the game a lot more attractive to watch. Mm. You know, when the goalkeeper is involved, and you can see that, um, you know, stepping into the line and allowing the, you know, the um, the rest of the back four to to move on up. Yeah, and you have uh, you have got to be you've got to be adaptable in that, as in you've got to be able to flip back and do it the other way as well. If if a team strategy and a manager just wants you to kick it, you've got to be adaptable enough to flip back. Yeah, and no one can be 
no one be, can be naive or stubborn enough to say no they've got to pass it all the time because uh, if you if you play for a Cat 1 club uh, so let's say Jordan Pitford so Jordan at the World Cup uh, definitely exploited space in possession mm. built from the back played risky passes all that kind of stuff 100% did rewind rewind six months nine months no longer rewind 18 months when he was at Sunderland or at one of his loan clubs was he doing that then no chance he was at his loan clubs he was putting the ball down and he was kicking it as far as he could to the area that was determined by the manager mm. so the reason I say that is in order to take the correct steps to get to the top level where you are expected to build play that we just described you also need to show enough understanding and adaptability to play a different style as well so when he was at the, the loan clubs mm-hmm. did he have the ability yes to put, right they did yeah. had the ability to do both but what was needed at that what was needed at that time from that manager for that club to stay in the league or to gain promotion or whatever it was that's what they wanted yeah which I'm not saying is right or wrong but you need to play to the to the plan of the game yeah um, my belief is that it should be built um there should be much more adaptability the, the best thing to, the hardest thing to play against is unpredictable if you don't know what I'm going to do when I've got the ball at my feet you don't know how to press me or how to get it back so if you want to press me with four and I pass it over your head oh god then you then you go I'll just press you with two and then we play through you or around you so to be unpredictable is the best thing really so how as a coach do you have to behave in order to get that out of your goalkeepers or, or general ok so you need to you need to it's not just a goalkeeper. It's the, it's as a goalkeeper. Yeah, it's both. It's a goalkeeping coach and a, and a normal coach. You need to put them into scenarios and situations where they have to come up with the right solution for that time. So if you close me down with two people, the right solution might be to play between the two of you or around you. If you close me down before, it might be to go over you. So give them different pictures and situations, which re- requires them to come up with answers. And the answer ultimately is keeping the ball to progress up the pitch. So providing them scenarios is is the is the best way of getting good at it. Yeah, and from experience, that one of the things I've found is without having to worry, think or worry too much about this, because you've got another. You, you know, you could be on your own. You've got 15, mm. 16 players to deal with. Now I've got to start focusing on what the goalkeeping returns. Sometimes it can be as much as. Um, restarting the practice from the goalkeeper or from around the goalkeeper or from certain um, scenarios that, that lend themselves to what you've just spoken about yeah. so if you're playing in, in some sort of game based or a match mm. how do we re- how, how might we restart the game so the goalkeeper yeah. gets loads of repetition right so really easy so let's say you're working on a, did you say you do uh, uh, before on the podcast you said you did um, like a, a phase of play as a warm up or something did you say that yeah yeah, tend to yeah. tend to as the kind of last five minutes before the game yeah so let's say that was in a training session you do some kind of phase so what you do is the coach has got the ball right the ball starts me every time I'm going to pass it to the goalkeeper and you might say to him you've got to receive this you've got to be higher than your six yard box or you've got to be on the other side of the pitch to where I am so if you're on the right he has to be on the left yep. so straight away that kind of threads in a little bit of work away from the ball to provide yourself more space right you pass it to him um, right you've got four seconds to receive this and clip it or play it to where you want the start position to be which would be where, where say would that you, again where would you want the start position to be in a phase of play roughly 
I suppose it depends on where the ball is and where the opposition are. Yeah. So where, where would you want it to start from, depending on what you're working on? Give me a. Give me a. Um, let Let's say um, fullback has the ball uh, from a throw-in. Right. Fine. So you would say to the goalkeeper, right. I'm going to pass you the ball. You've got to receive it on the opposite side of the pitch to me, wherever you are. Yep. And you've got four seconds to receive it and clip it to our fullback. Okay. Yeah. So you've got the ball right next ball. It goes into the keeper straight away. The keeper's under pressure because he's got four seconds and everyone's watching him. So we've cranked up that bit of pressure bit that you talked about before, and then he's got to execute whatever pass he deems correct at that time to get it to the fullback, and then the practice starts. The fullback gets some receiving skills because it's dropping into him, and he has to adapt and uh, accordingly. And then the practice goes. Everyone repositions, so a bit of transition. Everyone repositions, and then the practice is on its way, isn't it? So just that that one bit that you just suggested there. If you add a couple of constraints to it around time and position, it gives returns for the players and for the goalkeeper. Yeah, it's a nice, nice, uh, really clear example that. And so this is one of the things that I wanted to get you talking about which mm. which was practice practice design and mm. kind of commonly held traditions and wh- where are your thoughts on, on, on practice and goalkeepers well, right any, now any particular age um, let's go right the way through the ages then let's start young and, and work up um, so the first thing I'd say with, with this and it is a it is a kind of worms and a massive topic it's really important that you work backwards from the end in mind with everything that you're doing so why are you coaching or why is a goalkeeper coming to play in the practice or the session that you're doing it's normally to have fun it's normally to become better it's normally to um, as, 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 a, as a tiny picture in their development of, of being a, a young player so first thing you've got to make sure they do is, is they love what they're doing that they're coming along to love it they don't want to be stood in queues they don't want to be waiting a minute to have a touch of the ball they want to be competing, they want to be playing games, they want to get a chance to do you know, unique multiple actions that their heroes do, you know, De Gea and, and all them do. They want to be doing that kind of stuff, so you know, don't take that away from them. Don't think that they want they have to go into that kind of massively processed your foot must go here and your hand must go here to make this save in this scenario when I throw it to you. Just chuck them into situations, multi-directional multi-directional situations that require them to come up with actions that stop the ball going in the net when they've got it and they're either keeping the ball when they have or they're shooting when they've not okay so they've got to be much before they've got to be a kid first I don't think I don't think you should solely specialise in just coaching or just being a goalkeeper or coaching a goalkeeper until they're about 14 yeah they should. Why, that, why is that I'm with you but why, why do you think that well um Potentially, this might be a, a gross um, generalisation. I would say that the majority of goalkeepers in grassroots football, um, uh, and, well, most football, would be uh, wouldn't be the best movers in the group. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, as a, yeah, as a general rule. Yeah, as a general yeah. rule on ABCs. And now, it doesn't because goalkeeping's caused that. Do you think that? That's because well, that's they haven't been a great movie. Yeah. So you potentially, and if you think our goal, majority of goalkeeping training looks structured movement, small distance, restricted goals, um, etc. So you potentially put in a restricted mover into a restricted movement program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why would you do that? 
because we want to win um, as a coach okay so win one. I'm just coming at the flip side here yeah want to win the league mm-hmm. want to win games want my team to win okay so um, that that's that's well I guess that's a common kind of outcome sorry a common kind of response to that so does having your goalkeeper just stunning goal in the middle not being able to move help that or do you want one that's able to run around adapt to the situation be athletic off the line um, potentially take some risks to help your team you know understand the game have they got that yeah I get that from standing round yeah so you would you would say start to spe- sample early so an example I can give is um, a few years ago I did the the sevens at our club mm. it was a, I loved it it was such a great year and we had um, 20 uh, I think we had we have 28 boys in that age group so we had uh, four teams four squads of seven who played five a side every Saturday morning and um, we didn't have any goalkeepers Um, so what we used to do was take the bibs down and and the gloves and everyone had to take a a turn in goal training and games Uh, yeah yeah. Yeah. so I mean what what used to happen was um, there were some that had no qualms whatsoever they they didn't mind some had a bit of a uh, and some there were, you know, there were almost tears. And knowing what I know about rewards and carrots and sticks, I, I probably wouldn't do it again this way. But what I did do was, the rule was, if you play, um, you play the first half in goal, mm-hmm. you play the second half outfield, so you get a full game. Yeah. So week. the carrot is, and it, I was just surviving, you know, just can one of you go a goal? If you play in goal, you play half, you get a full game. Mm. That's the rule, and that kind of was enough to appease them yeah, yeah. to have a go in. Um, I, I only stayed with that group uh, while they were under sevens but there were, there were other teams around who clearly had goalkeepers that, that yeah. were in as it happened um, a boy came to us the season after and he, he was adamant that he didn't want to play anywhere but goal he wanted to be a goalkeeper yeah. and in fairness he's, he's, he's fantastic and he can move yeah. he, he does other sports as well he does gymnastics and tennis yes that's great so he's, he's uh, supplementing it with doing other sports right? yeah yeah. Right. I guess it's not a one, one rule fits all but what what, if, what happens if you do get the, the kid who is just wants to be a goalkeeper I think you have to find out what they want to get out of it like a little bit longer further down the line so yeah they're enjoying it right now but do you want to keep doing this for you know, a bit bit longer because ultimately, if you keep if you keep not moving much and not being involved with the team much and probably getting worse with the ball at your feet because you're not playing football enough, you're not going to do this for very long. Then you're going to stop enjoying it. Mm. And I'm the reason I'm the reason I'm saying this. I'm a, I'm an I'm an advocate for it because I've I've done it the other way, so I've got it wrong. So I'm, I'm 15, 15 years coaching now, give or take. So when I first started coaching, I started working with young young kids you know sometimes six seven eight well full spectrum but six seven eight and I was like right I'm going to make you as a six-year-old into a into like a, a professional young goalkeeper and I coached them as you would coach a senior player and they they looked the part they had the right shape they moved their hands the right way they could they could shuffle across the line and through ladders and do all the techniques or actions under the sun they could do them all and it looked great at the time and what happened is exactly what I'm describing. They became um, not great movers, not great decision makers, because I was just doing actions with them. And, and ultimately, the game caught up with them by about the age of 13, and they weren't they weren't actually um, able to function in, in games where they had to make decisions. 
they'd become so linear in the thinking and so reliant on knowing where the ball was going and, and just in, in like straight line practices and they didn't fit uh, into the game. And is that because you'd, in all those drills that you'd conditioned them in, they knew before you threw it or volleyed it where the ball was going to go. Yeah. So they yeah. they do the movement pattern, hop over the cones or whatever, or whatever, whatever they're yeah. doing, yeah, and then get set, and then it you you volley it or you throw it. Yeah. And they know where it's coming. Yeah. And it was great for the now, Jack. It was brilliant. And as a as a coach, I felt um, so that the three people involved there was the coach, the player, and the parent only, because mm. the parents normally watching. So everyone felt fulfilled because. They saw the goalkeeper in goal getting a lot of success in the now. They saw them getting better at the perceived techniques that you need. And I, as a coach, was like, oh, he's getting better. He's doing this. And he looks like a mini Schmeichel or a yeah. mini De Gea or something here in what he's doing. Um, so it was it, that, that kind of coaching is great for the now. If you want instant impact within six to 12 months, it's brilliant. If you want long, more long-term sustained development and ability... It's not that stuff. It's the it's the bigger multi-directional um, uh, invasion games where they have to run and defend space and defend the goal behind them and take risks and decide when they go and stay and and what how they come up with any given action to solutionise a position. Mm. I'm going to keep using that solutionise <laughs> to, to solutionise a situation because we we don't know what's going to happen in the next game they play or. Ultimately, giving them the scenarios to make decisions will make them better goalkeepers. Yeah, and, I, and, and I've been quite critical, and I'm, I'm probably going to leave myself open here to get hammered by the, the goalkeeping community here, but I have been quite critical in the past of um, the, the practice of serving out of the hands, mm-hmm. um, purely from a perception and action uh, perspective, because if we're, if we're teaching players to predict and pick up cues and clues and triggers off people's body movements even just the act of serving a ball out of the hands onto the volley that that will will never happen yeah. in a game and yet we practice it and, and and the other thing is the ball's coming at the goalkeeper with, with top spin yeah. yeah and it has never happened and will never happen in the game that you know six yards out somebody drops it out of their hands and volleys it mm-hmm. um, and the same thing with throwing it now I can understand that kind of need to to guarantee su- some success, but there's a there's a trade off and a balance to be had. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, so if you're advising multi-directional ball in hand games, even just um, you know netball type games, yeah. if you if maybe if you don't have a goalkeeper in the team, what would you advise the sort of practices that that might uncover or give some people some enthusiasm to to have a go and goal? Well, if this, if this, if you've just played a game with like I don't know six kids and there's two, there's a goal at each end, and it's first to ten. Um, depending where the ball is at the pitch, at some stage someone's got to think about stopping it going into the goal. So, out of them six kids, they will. If you don't tell them who's in goal, they'll quickly work out at any given time someone has to stay back and be ready to defend the goal. And then if that's the case, they'll probably ask you, "Can we use our hands?" Then you say, "Yeah." And then they get the choice of do they do they come and do they come and close the space and get close to play and try and intercept it, or do they stay back deep and try and make some like reactional actions, and ultimately they'll end up coming up with, you know, their own u- unique way of stopping it going in the net. They might be a bit scared of the ball at first, so they'll end up like just throwing the feet at it or something, and then it'll keep going through them and they'll work out that they need to stay up more upright and stuff. And 
if they stay hard, you might have to chase it back and like re re recover it from the line. It will all lead into kind of like blocking, blocking shots as a defender mm. and getting in the way of the ball and being braver and stuff. So it just gives you loads of returns. Okay. Just by giving it a go. So on that then, where where do you sit at the moment in terms of technique and set a set technique or individual? What, what's your thoughts at the moment? Um, my belief is uh, we use we try and use the word action rather than technique. Okay. Um, uh, we we use the word effective actions. We we don't we don't believe that there is a set technique for any given situation because it's 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 um, reliant on the ability and individual unique makeup of that goalkeeper. If you are extremely um, small, sorry, extremely fast. And more compact as a as in your physique, you'll naturally get to the ball quicker, um, and you'll be able to use a different action than to someone who's a bit slower with a much bigger frame, who will who will have to won't get as close to the ball and will have to react differently to that one, or to the first one that I described. So, I think it's important to have some principles around where the ball is on the pitch in any given situation, so you can then stop it going in the net or intercept or dive at feet or whatever it may be but I don't think it is a one size fits all this is what you do at this time for everyone okay if I said to you right there's a ball out wide your job is to stop it being played into the box and stop it going in the goal you would do it different than I would what's important is that it's successful I get that mm -hmm. you said about principles yeah what I mean what might be some of the common principles of, of say handling so if I'm if I've got a goalkeeper and I don't necessarily know much about goalkeeping and I get they need to be in game based situations yeah. and, and I'm all for right get, let them try and find a solution to keep the ball out, out yeah. of the goal do you mean solutionise yes that's the word <laughs> um, what 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 are some of the the principles that I might be able to just help that goalkeeper with Okay, um, so let's take like people, a lot of people talk about set position a lot, but there should be a, a certain set position for everyone. That goes back to the kind of everyone's different scenario. Yeah. What's important about set position or shape? It's important that you're in a comfortable, athletic shape that you're able to go into any given action from quickly. So, in principle, a, a goalkeeper would be beneficial to have a set position. Are you saying that? So yeah, their yeah, own, their their own, own yeah. So a set position in principle is is something worthwhile. Definitely. Yeah. But it's dependent on the individual and on where the ball is, so okay. the situation. So if I said to you, right, the ball's over there, and there's your goal. I want I'd want you as as Jack Walton to be in a comfortable but athletic position that you're able to go into a number of actions from. So that would probably mean that you wouldn't be flat-footed. Mm -hmm. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you probably wouldn't um, have your hands behind your back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd probably have your weight forward because we're talking about athletic, quick, and your legs probably wouldn't be in, a, in that wider position where you wouldn't be doing the splits. Yeah. So you're in a comfortable position where you can athletically move quickly from into like a number of different actions. Now, if that ball came a lot closer to you and came like to five yards away, you know how how would that alter what you were doing then? you'd probably naturally become a bit lower. Your legs might naturally go a little bit closer together or wider, depending on what you wanted to do. Um, 
you're thinking about making the goal look smaller so you might like move your arms wider a bit now to get into the psyche of the so it's all it's it's all principle based based on you as an individual and where the ball is yeah yeah and, and how much are we seeing the impact of other sports now on technique of goalkeeping um i don't think that will ever change um other sports will influence goalkeeping as will goalkeeping influence other sports yeah so you know this common this common crossover between tennis players stance movement and goalkeeping movement set position because the tennis players have a similar similar kind set of position, yeah, set position. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there's another common one with kind of like uh, with uh, basketball type movements and jumping yeah. and protecting with the shape and the hands similarly with handball um, from close range shots from close from, yeah from close range stuff um, I mentioned tennis haven't I what was the other one I was going to say well, the lads, so, the, the, so the a lot boy. of stuff around wrestling okay go on a lot of stuff around wrestling how does that transfer around like grappling on the floor and the shapes that you get into the ability to get up in different oh, shapes right. and movements um, the agility that, that that obviously gives you as well um, so there's some stuff on that some stuff on climbing and hurdling to do with like hip and groin movements so yeah there's loads of crossover yeah. so without me telling our, or without coaches out there telling goalkeepers that they've got to go and start wrestling or playing basketball mm. Maybe just finding out a little bit more about do they do any other sports? So the lad, the, the boy that plays in goal for us, um, he plays rugby. Oh, brilliant! That's and great. Yeah, That's a great crossover. And so, not afraid of the physical contact. Yeah. Um, and is uh, is really good at distributing from his hands. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's uh, looking at you know might be looking at what what you've got and what do they do and how can you turn maybe some strengths into into super strengths which is something I've heard quite a lot recently I think that's a great you know example the rugby one massively as an example a few football players who have played rugby to a high level same with cricket as well obviously linked to the same kind of stuff with the stance the movement and the, the throwing arm throwing action so there's loads of crossovers and I think it's just healthy to do a little bit of everything really yeah um, and it goes back to what you, you know, were saying before about the age at which we specialise it's, it's staggering the number of goalkeepers who didn't start playing in goal till till late. You said yourself you didn't start yeah. specialising till about fourteen, was that right? Yeah. Or? Look where I ended up. <laughs> Star sixes. But yeah, the yeah, the pinnacle. But there was there's quite a lot. I mean, um did did I read De Gea didn't specialise or start concentrating as a goalkeeper until he's about fifteen, was that right? Yeah, he did, he all, he always played in goal but he did other stuff as well. Yeah. He did he, he made sure he did other stuff as well, which was which is important, multiple other sports. Um, and the same with a lot of a lot of our English goalkeepers didn't didn't kind of specialise until kind of like 12, 14 and were really late into the system. Some of them even later than that. Yeah. Um, same with um, with with Courtois. I know he was definitely late in fourteen as well, and they just specialised. So there's there's numerous examples of, of that happening. And I, I, I'm not saying you don't need to play in goal. I say you need to you need to have a variation of what you're actually putting your your your, your mind and body through as a youngster. Yeah, or your youngster that you're working with, and going back to the kind of service one that you talked about around volleying the ball, it, it always comes back to the outcome. What outcome are you looking to achieve? If you if you place the most value um, of of your practice or exercise, so you've got an hour with the goalkeeper or half an hour, whatever you got, if you place the, the most value in that, and you think you're going to get the most out of it, around kicking the ball straight at them so they can catch it at the face. Um, I would encourage you to keep doing it if you think that's going to be most beneficial 
to what the game needs and to what the goalkeeper needs keep doing it if you think that um, the game's going to be random and there's going to be some unique actions and saves and they're going to have to need to be adaptable I would say you probably need to think about um, kicking at them from, in a different way uh, with different variation from different distances and angles yeah so let's break that down then we've got so you, you said your first experience of coaching was one to one yeah you, you play a parent let's say yes let's assume that that's not going to stop and no you know we might not want it to yeah. but um, if you could get coaches to maybe do something different if they do find themselves working one to one with the goalkeeper maybe the team aren't, aren't training it might be a, a separate night of the week it's goalkeeper training yeah what might be some of the things that you would encourage them to either do more or do less of then okay so first thing I want to I want to answer this question first before I go into that one so you might need to ask it again okay I'm not suggesting that goalkeeping training isn't important it's very very important but it shouldn't be at the detriment of what the team and the game needs okay so the needs of the team and the needs of any given game are what we're ultimately looking to aspire to to fit into yeah we're a specialist within the team so we're looking to fit into it so goalkeeping training is vitally important not at the expense of team outcome right so once you've got your goalkeeping training, it's important that it looks as close to the game as possible, i.e. cues and triggers, distances, uh, types of practice. So an example for the question you just asked might be, um, so traditionally you would say, right, right, Jack, we're going to start coaching now. So if you just stand in between them two cones, I'm going to volley the ball at you. Uh, I'm going to give you 10 volleys and you're going to catch them. All right, ready to go? Yeah. If I miss hit one of them volleys, you'll normally hear this, oh, sorry, my fault from the server. Right, actually, that was, a, that was an opportunity for you to come up with a unique save there. So actually, I'm not going to apologise for that. So, flip that on its head, how might you change it? Firstly, get into a goal if you can. If, if, you, if there's a full-size goal or a goal that you can get into, get into it. Because straight away, you add a tactical element to it then around where you need to be stood. And I'm going to say this to you, right, Jack, um, you've got 10, um, 10 balls to deal with now, okay? And I'm going to serve from a different position each time. Ready? Go. So straight away, you've got to come up with a position and an action for 10 balls that are all different, okay? Now, some people will listen to this thinking, yeah, but he's not warm yet. I'm in control of the service here, so I can make sure that I'm not going to do anything that'll injure him. But straight away, you then have to be comfortable with with finding a um, an action or a solution to where I kick that ball. And because I keep changing position, that means you change your position as well. So straight away, the number of returns that, that them 10 balls give you as a player developing at any age versus the 10 that are just going to catch is much more so if you go to the end of them 10, 10 catches so the 10 that was going to kick straight at you in the cones how would you feel at the end of that what the what, what 10 in a row from the same place yes. how would you feel as a goalkeeper I guess it depends how well I've done but yeah I'd probably be ready for a, a change but you'd feel you'd feel fulfilled, wouldn't you? Like I'm, I'm good at this. I'm oh, we're good at catching. Yeah, if I've caught, just caught ten in a row, yeah, I'm gonna caught be, ten, yeah. ten in a row. How would you feel at the end of the ten random ones? Okay. If you'd have been successful in them, what all ten? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be I'd probably be happier. Why? Because the variance is greater, the challenge is is different. Mm. You could argue greater. Yeah. Um, and would you feel like a bit more unbeatable? I would like to think so, yeah, without well, getting well, to... Think about where you've been stood. Well, I've moved around, so I've had to decide upon where I need to be before you serve it. 
Yeah. So I've there's a kind of added layer of success yeah. there that I've been responsible for. Yeah. So straight away, there's just there's just more outcomes, more things for you to consider, and, and options for you to take, really. Okay. So, and that and that's just an example of a really basic kind of warm up. And it's funny when you do that kind of warm up with someone who's not used to it. It's really foreign to them, and they're like, "Hang on, what, where are you going to put it?" And I'm not telling you. You you you've got to you've got to catch it when it comes or whatever it may be. Yeah. So you're providing, you're providing a scenario and a framework for them to come up with whatever action they want in it. Um, and, and, and all this without necessarily the need for ladders and flaming hoops of fire. And yeah, I don't think you need that. No? No, especially not within the goal mouth. Okay. That's, that's not what but that's a common practice though. You see that yeah, going on. Just do it somewhere else. So do it in the gym. When you've, when you've got time to be on the grass within the goal, practice the things that happen in the game, you know. Uh, there's a time for them kind of plyometrics and power movements but they can take place in a gym or off the side of a pitch it shouldn't come away from the actual football bit of the ball being on the floor being passed around and going in at varying heights and speeds normally from the foot or head yeah I think that's balanced yeah yeah yeah, yeah. just just do it some just do it somewhere else okay Let's go back to the specialism yeah so the coach out there who is very developmentally focused mm-hmm. um wants to encourage players to have a go and goal maybe works at under 12 under 13 level yeah. having difficulty with it because that's going to mean sacrificing goals and, yeah. and outcomes of games what advice would you give to to those coaches out there I, I keep this is this is the answer I keep, keep giving isn't it like you've got to have the outcome for your season in place around what you're trying to achieve as a team and as a, as a, as a group of young players um, so if it's if it is to win, win the league at that age and just win at expense of all costs, you might want to find a specialist that just goes in goal and just does a job for you every week. If you want, um, if you want it to be like a team environment um, around developing players and becoming, um, you know, more all-encompassing and adaptable as as young men and players, you probably want to give everyone a go at, at all the different things. Yeah. Um, so how how might you go about doing it? Involving the involving the young players in why you're doing it, um, explaining that some are going to like it more than others. But as is life, you have to have you have to make sacrifice sacrifices in life, and sometimes do things that you don't mm. always want to do. Um, so involving the players in why you would why you would be asking them to play in goal or play out, um, and then also saying that you, you you're going to support them and help them in doing it as well. Um, I don't know if that's answered that. No, no, but yeah, I get it. And, but, but if you have got one that is dead set on going in goal and sees themselves very much as a goalkeeper, I, I guess the advice would be find out what else they're doing if they're doing any other sports. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get that. Sorry. And yeah. and, and help them to become better athletes and better movers. Yeah, I came back from the wrong angle. Didn't yeah. I? Yeah. So if if someone's got a passion and their love for for goalkeeping at a young age, you know, kind of twelve upwards, is in goal. 100% let them play in goal yeah. and let them do it let them express themselves but also also challenge and ask them you know like you say what else are they doing um, if this is the skills that you know Jordan Pickford Alisson um, De Gea have got at the very top level what are you doing now at 12, 13, 14 that's going to get you to that level of, of ball at your feet at uh, explosive skills uh, sorry explosive um, physical attributes and all that kind of stuff, making sure the two 
yeah. kind of marry up yeah yeah because I've fallen foul of, the, of this this Me season um, I put a desperate plea out on, on Twitter for any uh, any goalkeepers that wanted to come and have a game yeah. for our, our boys because our um, our goalkeeper fractured his wrist last summer um, and in his healing process the, the, the doctor said he can he can play outfield but he can't play in goal so he's basically missing the whole season yeah, yeah. Well. and uh, trying to get 15 year olds to, to yeah. take a turn in goal is, is difficult Challenging, especially yeah. when the goals are raining in mm-hmm. um, but it has been it, it, I think what it has done is it's made um, it's made some of the boys really appreciate how difficult it is to stick the gloves on or, or it's been able to they've been able to put themselves in the goalkeeper's yeah. mindset and have a little bit more empathy for them when they yeah. do go in yeah. I think you do find that and it is, it is people say you know it's, I think it's really easy to look at it and just say it's or take it for granted but until you've actually given it a go and um, and, and you you've, you realise the different challenges it throws up in terms of all corners of, of the game be it physical or psychological or tactical you know you, you don't really you don't really know till you've experienced it and I feel sorry for some of the commentators and who, who have to comment on the telly when they, you know when a goalkeeper's made a mistake or, or a successful action and they have to comment they have to fill the air because ultimately they haven't experienced that you know being in that situation so <laughs> leaving themselves out to be flogged really yeah um, and it does throw it's, it is it is a game within a game it is a different it's a specialist position um, it is different um, I don't think it should be viewed as so different that it should be uh, completely isolated and at the same time it shouldn't be completely integrated as well there's got to be a marry of, of the two um, but when you when you give it a go and you realise the challenges it throws up, it does make you emphasise. Uh, sorry, empathise. That's the one. A bit more. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I do. I enjoy your um, your rants. Shall we call them on on Twitter when I do yeah, see yeah. somebody uh, have a, have a go, the, the the technical stuff that, that you come out with and and because like you said, it is becoming. It is about um, embracing unorthodox and just positive actions to keep the ball out of the goal yeah, and yeah. how and. Um, how they might do that and supporting them with that so w- again one of the questions that came in was around the, the coach's role in feeding back and reinforcing or not and I just want to pick your brain on you know where what are your thoughts on that at the moment so I think the question was was around um, if you're working with a goalkeeper what what's what are some of the thought process that processes that go through your head in terms of whether you feed back, how you feed back, what you feed back. As in, uh, like, reviewing In terms of, yeah, your coaching behaviours. So it might uh, be out right. on the training pitch. Yeah. Um, what's, what are some of the processes that y- your thoughts go through? Um, and does it depend on... And, you know, what are some of the factors that it might depend on? Yeah. Um, so I think it's important that the practices that you put on are as close to the game as possible, i.e. the distances that they're served from and the... The intensity that it goes at, and the, the also what's important that that there's a consequence, there's a consequence Such to as. your action. So if the you know if the ball goes past you and it goes in, it's a goal. Right. If you drop it, it's not just start again. You know, do, you've missed that goal. That was your chance to catch it. So there must be a realistic kind of consequence behind your practices. Um, how you feed that back, I think it's important. Always think it's important at any age to get to find out where the players are at so I would think that I'd, you might ask a question such as how did you think that went then and use an open ended question don't use a closed question how did you think you did then 
and ultimately they'll offer up some kind of reflection on whether they thought they did well or they didn't and then a bit like you've done here you've asked me to kind of exp- you've asked me to explore some of my answers a bit more like give me an example give me an example of why you thought you did well then oh well I thought I um, thought I read play quite well alright how did you do it well what I did was I started picking up some of the body cues some, some of the, the body language of the players about where they were going to play it and was able to cut out and intercept oh that's brilliant I think you should keep doing it yeah so definitely involving the players in it if the players don't understand why they've not been successful or why they've been unsuccessful that's then your cue as a coach then to step in and reinforce some kind of methods or strategies to maybe be better at any given you know kind of 1v1 or or a save or a pass um, but just going in with the answer as a coach straight away so at the end of a session if I come over to you right Jack your distribution's got to be better there you need to start playing through them two strikers all the time um, I want you to do that next time I don't even know why you didn't do it first so find out where the player's at and then between you and the player then come up with a how do you actually make it better or how do you keep doing it rather than just being a tell about the keep your foot square or do that more mm. so involve them in it more come up with a, an easy plan to to make it better next time so you're finding out where they're at uh, as well and then hopefully that, that that forms like kind of that feedback loop of player knowing what they're doing coach having an input and then working out how to go forward yeah, yeah. did that I, answer that question? yeah yeah I, yeah. And I, the thing I like about it is, the, is you talked about the consequence mm. and, and I think it goes right back to what you were saying at the start about not making it too comfortable and too yeah. easy and, and we should be looking to develop environments where it, it's it's safe to be uncomfortable yeah I think Pete Sturgis talks about being able to throw the throw the bath I, I, I'm going to butcher this now but um, yeah basically Pete talks about to, uh, creating an environment where you kind of kind of throw the bath at them and they can and, and they'll feel safe yeah and and I think that's really important when you when you're looking at the players who you know if a goalkeeper makes a mistake rightly or wrongly in, in our culture it's it's deemed of greater significance than if a forward misses a, a chance let's well, say it is ultimately you can't get away from that yeah you cannot you cannot come away from that fact and people kind of use that as an excuse sometimes but it's not an excuse it's a fact um, and this is this is by no means an excuse it's just this is fact so in that in that star sixes thing um, and I I remember it vividly in the next game we played the next day after the one that had gone under my foot um, we played against the rest of the world we were the like the, the star team there really they came second maybe should have won it and uh, Mendieta was playing for them and he was stood on the byline on the touch line like the throwing line at the halfway and someone passed it to him he went to put his foot on the ball and wasn't looking and guess what happened yeah, went under his, his foot for a throw in so the crowd say and then everything goes on and it's forgotten about well it would never be mentioned yeah. but the consequence for it going out for a throw isn't as great as it going in the middle of the goal for a goal So, but you cannot get away with that fact so what that means to me is I needed to take more care in watching the ball onto my foot because the consequence of me missing that is far higher than him missing it on the halfway line for a throw but it's still the same mistake it's still the same mistake but my my focus and intention of what I was trying to do there should be greater because the risk is greater than he had. So that's not an, that's not an excuse I'm making. That is that is a fact that it just it doesn't matter as much if you miss the ball, outfield versus in goal. Okay, 
so as a grassroots coach yeah should we be dealing with those let's say those two situations any differently or should we be treating them as, as exactly the same so if the goalkeeper uh, in our team lets the ball go under his foot because he's asked for it yeah. from his defender and it goes in our goal should I be treating that mistake any differently than say a midfielder receiving the ball ball goes under his foot and the opposition win it ultimately the, the reason that you don't look at the ball when you're receiving it is so you can scan and recognise what's going on Yeah, and there is a, there's an argument to say that you should be able to do both and receive it as you're looking forwards or looking up um, what you have to understand is that like, if you, if, you, if you don't get your touch right when you're in goal the risk of it going in next time is or going in is, is a lot higher um, but ultimately at a grassroots level you shouldn't treat that any differently that would be down down to principally down to principles about how you receive the ball and one of the things would be you know receive it so you can move the move the play and make sure you can see where it's going and all that kind of stuff so grassroots level no I wouldn't I wouldn't treat that any differently yeah I just guess I'm, I'm really acutely aware of how much mistakes with goalkeepers can be um, highlighted and what might you know they're de- they're developing people, and the impact that that a mistake, one mistake, might have, you know, can be really, can, if if not managed appropriately, can be really detrimental for a, a, a long way down the line, and um, and they they do they pick up on everything, every every cue that that we as adults on the sideline let off, even a sigh, yeah, you know, look away, just the body language, you know, they're acutely aware of everything that we do, mm. and. Um, I think it's those moments that we, uh, I suppose, we earn our spurs as coaches. Yeah, um, that's where you earn your stripes, really. When when a when a kid makes a mistake, trying to do the right thing, they, that's when they need the support. And it's a it's a complex thing to ask people to do to see beyond the mistake, and and go with the intention. Mm. But ultimately, you're trying to help them longer term, so that's when they need the support of. Yeah, oh, look, you get the next one. You know, you're trying to do the right thing. Keep going. Make sure you do the next five things right. Yeah. That's when they need that support and reassurance from you as a coach or a parent. And and it takes, um, yeah, it's a complex thing to do as a human being. Yeah, and and, and to be fair, you know, the, the age group that I'm at, the, at 15, the the power of the peer group, you could argue, is far greater than, than, than me as the coach. So if yeah. I can get that, that message to come from the players, not just me. Yeah. You know the um, the impact of that mistake, you know, might not necessarily be as great. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's massive. You can get the, if you can get that kind of if you can get the players self managing that as a, as a team. That's that's that carries even yeah. more weight, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you you talked. I'm going to jump it about a bit if that's alright. Yeah, you got time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked about the DNA, or you mentioned it briefly before, and you got a nice little. Slide there. Okay. Yeah, I noticed yeah, on your iPad. Put everything open. Yeah. <laughs> um, some games. As well. Give us, give the listeners a bit of a flavour of what's out there, or maybe what's coming down the pipe in terms of the goalkeeping aspect of, yeah. of our England DNA. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So we were obviously when the wider DNA was put together across education teams around um, around identifying what we want to achieve and how we want to go about achieving it. Uh, we were in a fortunate position as a goalkeeping department to push on a, a bit quicker. Um, so we went and put into place some uh, characteristics, so basically some goalkeeping characteristics, or what you might call uh, position-specific characteristics. Um, 
and also some a bit of a model about how we want the uh, the guys and girls to kind of put that into play on the pitch. So we came up with a um, we we came up with a, a list of um, it was a really long winded process of of things that we look for and we, we think are most important to be um, a top top a top level elite goalkeeper. Uh, we weren't fu- we weren't fluffy about it and you know good at this or can do this. It was it was the elite stuff and it was about outcomes that they're able to that they're able to do, uh, not about behaviours like good at passing or can receive on the back foot or can make a top corner save. It was it was outcomes. So it was stuff like makes big saves, has got nerve strength, um, is able to exploit space in possession, uh, explosive uh, physical presence, things like that. So uh, we came up with a list of uh, 19, 19 characteristics, uh, which took a certain amount of time, it took a long time, about three months. And then we defined each word, which took about another three or four months. Um, so we were really clear as a department around what these characteristics were and we were all able to work backwards from which ones were most important and which ones certain players had and were able to do which then allowed us to go into dialogue with players and with coaches around right if you're working as a as an under 16 goalkeeping coach and you want your goalkeeper to let's say exploit space in possession make big saves and have nerve strength or presence whatever your practice should be promoting them three or four things. So going back to before, it probably isn't about kicking the ball straight at the face. It's mm. probably about giving them the situation to express themselves, to make big saves linked to their unique ability, um, put them under pressure when they've got the ball so they have to come up with a solution um, for an in-possession kind of. So it, it allowed us to work backwards from with the end in mind, really. So so when so when you're working with, with players, say, on camp, mm. How much of the time are you spending on strengths, current strengths, yeah. or current areas for development? Where's the focus? It's always everything, um, but we we use like a graphic equaliser kind of session plan, thought think thought process thing to put our practice in place. So if I'm with the under twenty ones and we're playing Spain in two days time, we're probably doing um, a decent amount of the practice around what what challenges Spain might throw up to us. If we're, if we're four days before that, um, away from the game, we might be working on some of the some of the biggest strengths around excelling in them and you know becoming even better at them, yeah. or or, 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 or pot, fine polishing some some slight you know weaknesses in the game. So that would then be one would be more about the individual further away from the game, closer to the game. It would be more about what they're going to have to do in it. So that changes all the time. I think the most important thing with that, uh, Jack, is understanding which bit you're at any one time. So you're, if, if you're a day before a game and you're just doing catches to make them feel good, is that the right thing rather than making them aware of what the game's going to need from them at that time? And I guess you've got the added element that you're not working with these guys every day. No. Like the, like the clubs, you've only got them for a finite amount of time. Yeah. It's, and but it's, it's tournament football. It's also a big portion because like the international players will come away with us. People say you don't work with them much, but it works out about 50, 60 days a year. So if you put that into the calendar, it's about a fourth or a fifth of their on-pitch time. Mm. So if you're flippant with that and say, oh, it doesn't just matter, we'll just warm them up and let them play, that's 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 dangerous. You know, There's still you know a big chunk of development and, and, and time for them to get better there. Yeah, and that was one of the things I was really impressed with, again, from, from the presentation before Christmas, was that 
strategic planning almost down to the minute for every eventuality across the whole season and beyond and the tournament and should we get to the semi-final should we get to the final you know everything mapped out everything individually you know that must take some doing it does yeah it does but we we can't leave any stone unturned and and we want to get the most out of every goalkeeper or every player that comes with us and uh, there are there are ways to improve and to make them get better um, and, and some of the things they might do with us might be different to what they do with the clubs so we must, we've must we got to tailor that for, to reflect it and if you spend too much time just doing generic stuff you ain't getting into the nooks of like actually what's needed for them yeah. to perform at the top level yeah it must be enjoyable though yeah, yeah it's really rewarding good. yeah really really rewarding it's brilliant and um I have to say the work that we did as a department around the goalkeeping DNA stuff has been really beneficial because we were able to work backwards from what we see as most important yeah, and challenge each other on that and it's informed how we coach and it's allowed us to measure our performance to say are we actually delivering what we said we would mm-hmm. and because that process involves the players as well and they, they clearly understand right I've got to have this whichever one of the characteristics it is it's really clear like outlook and mindset from everyone around like what are we working towards here yeah and, uh, well I guess it's, it's something that I've heard a lot in our division is that if you're standing still you're going backwards mm. um, so what what's coming next in terms of the DNA and the goalkeeping element yeah so so first of all we got our, we got our own house in order as regards all of our coaches on the same page working to the same outcome um, and, and designing our programme accordingly um, now um, that, has, that has filtered into some of the goalkeeping courses and outfield courses um, and, and in, 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 in years to come in, well in, in months, months to come the next thing is that that is, the, that is at the epicentre of each course so then messages are filtered into each course and the courses work backwards from that so it filters down into, into the clubs into the grassroots into all the coaching and development for goalkeeping and goalkeepers across the country um, and hopefully it just gives people the ability to um, well to empower people to come up with um, rationales behind they coach linked to what they want to get out of it at the end yeah. um, our approach isn't a this is how you do it this is the way you go and do it it's a come up with some ideas that you believe are important and adjust your, your coaching or support style accordingly so that's how it works and we've there's been some good evidence of that recently. There's numerous professional clubs who have who have actually put their own one in place, their own kind of DNA in place and characteristics and ways of measuring it in place. So it's good to see that people have just it's it's like I said at the beginning, um, it's um, what did I say at the beginning? I can't remember. It's not me passing on knowledge. It's 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 me just suggesting ideas and yeah. and ways that people might consider doing stuff. So yeah, and I, I think that's one thing that is always. Um, I've always enjoyed about your company is that it's you're very uh, open to, to suggestion oh, and challenge and, and very um, anti sort of dogmatic about things and yeah. yeah I think that comes across well and and you said there about the the clubs taking responsibility for you know for that I I, I can see it trickling down now into grassroots just the other day somebody um, sent me a, a project of a, a learner I think it was Steve Lilly actually one of his learners down in yeah. Gloucestershire uh, in Bristol. Um, and the, the level of detail that, that this coach had gone into around the, the team, um, it was on his level two. I think it was an under 
12s team I want to say mm. but I was absolutely blown away by it it was it was really inspiring so I think you know the work that you're doing it is is getting out there and is yeah. is affecting the way that people think about yeah. goalkeeping and, and being a part of the team yeah. and that was my that was my ultimate ultimate goal at the beginning of it was to was to challenge challenge the the way people think about about how they coach and what they do and, and ultimately to like unearth empower and inspire um, you know young young goalkeepers and, and young coaches to to create you know the next generation of goalkeeping and for us to be at a world level or world class level and, and we're, we're getting towards it it's exciting some some really exciting young keepers coming through in, in both foot in the male and female game yeah. there really is some exciting young ones coming through and you know someone asked me I saw something or someone asked me the other day around why aren't any of our goalkeepers classed as world class or you know no one aspires to be them and like five years they will give it another five years yeah. and there'll be some top top ones there and I'm, I'm confident of that yeah. Yeah. the amount of kids I saw running around with their Pickford shirts on in the yeah. summer it was yeah. it was great to see but, so I mean we start we'll start to wrap up now with, with some of the questions that I sent you beforehand but before that you, you said about you just mentioned about the uh, the evolution of, of goalkeeping yeah. where where do you see the role of the goalkeeper in in the coming years five or ten years you know, yeah. we don't obviously know what maybe rule changes might be around the corner there but um, what do you think? It'll please a lot of people to hear, hear me say that nothing, it will never come away from the most important thing about stopping it going in the net. Yeah, that will never change. Yeah. Ultimately, that's that's what they will have to be able to do uh, or keep being able to do. Uh, I think we're going to see um, more of a thinking goalkeeper who tactically understands the game a bit more with and without the ball. So goalkeepers that are able to be proactive in the decision-making to prevent things from happening rather than react to what's happened so that might mean more interceptions playing higher maybe a bit more risk and then with the ball definitely more connected to the team in terms of the positioning and using their position on the pitch to affect it where the opposition and how the opposition how the opposition press so I don't think there's going to be a massive change in that because it's already happening but just a, we're going to see more kind of thinking goalkeepers who are who are proactively managing situations rather than reacting to situations yeah brilliant and just from your notes there if there's, is there anything that we haven't or that I've not asked you or that we haven't discussed no no, I don't think so no, no. Um, like I said if, if, if we have missed anything I'm, I'm more than happy to pick some stuff up um, you know online or whatever I, I don't I've got no problem doing that so cool cool I, yeah. I can pick stuff wherever really okay so these are some questions that I um I ask or I try to ask mm. everyone that comes on so I sent you through um, sent them through to you uh, so you know you said you met you started coaching 15 years ago yeah yeah kind of age 20 really yeah. straight away when I was finishing uh, okay. my, my scholarship so if you were going to go back to that 20 year old Tim yeah knowing what you know now yeah. what advice would you give him right you don't have to you don't have to create uh, a premiership goalkeeper in, in, in four or five sessions so the sessions that the Premiership goalkeepers might be doing are probably not correct to the ones that the, the 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds do. They need to be more free, they need to be doing more invasion, multi-directional games where they have to come up with solutions rather than um, rather than be prescribed actions that they have to do. Um, and they need to end up being adaptable decision makers rather than um, kind of functional responders, yeah. Um, 
when I was at Man City, sort of finishing, I had a complaint from a parent, went into the head of coaching and said, this is a, I ran a goalkeeping session age 9 to 13 of an evening, uh, and I did an hour with me, then an hour with the group, and the complaint was worded like this, Tim, we've had a parent come in, and they've complained about the goalkeeping training that you're not coaching them, all you're doing is playing games with them. Uh, they want to do some goalkeeping coaching instead. Um, so I, I, I didn't know whether it was a complaint or a compliment, um, so I took it as a compliment because they were playing like multi-directional games where they had to come up with different decisions given whatever topic I'd put on the, the night. Yeah, yeah. So. I think that's a common, uh, a common thing that coaches hear and feel around the country. I only had one uh, last Wednesday night. Um, I decided to uh, keep myself grounded by going in and doing an hour with the uh, with the six year olds at our club, and, and yeah. just uh, one of the coaches was was missing, so I went and helped out for an hour, and it was it was great. It was complete chaos. Um, probably spent half the session teaching kids how to tie shoelaces. Yeah, yeah. It was a complete mess. But I, weirdly, because I've not done that age for a few years, the parents were outside watching, and I'm sure none of them were thinking this, but I I still felt I wonder what they're thinking yeah. and whether they expect tidiness and yeah, yeah, yeah. regimented but um, well, I, I went and did a conference in, in Scandinavia last year and uh, they asked me to do a presentation and then a pitch session uh, practical and they, I said what topic and they wanted to do it on, on the, the hot topic that is like blocking spreading smothering foot saves type of stuff so I've, I've, I've got a theory on this and I've got a way of coaching it which has been successful over the last kind of eight or nine years so I get there, so I put an activation exercise on, so as the players get there, there's, there's a, a little small game set up with two mini goals, and they can only use the feet when they've got the ball. When they've not got the ball, they can only block it or win it back with the hands. Okay. And, and how uh, many would be playing in that? Like 2v2, so okay. four, four goalkeepers. Yeah. It can be up to 3v3, whatever. So start, how far away are the goals? Uh, like 15 yards. Okay. Yeah, so like, you know, you just... just mini two, soccer goals. Two mini goals, yeah. Mini soccer goals. Mini soccer goals. Um, so basically you get loads of situations where you're trying to dribble past me or kick it past me and you change the conditions to make you get double points if you do a one-touch finish, stuff like that. So I start this exercise off and, um, and where I was torn, I was going into a load of kind of, my next practices were going to be around the technique around how you, where, you would, where you would put a, a certain technique or action into the situation. And I'm, the, the, the dilemma I was in, I had four goalkeepers who were experimenting with all different situations in this mini game of setup, and I'm about to stop the game to take them into pre-prescribed techniques and actions that the coaches want to see me doing. Mm. And I actually said it to them, and I don't think they understood because it's quite a deep level of understanding that. And I was like, look, I believe they're getting more from this exercise here than what I'm going to do with them. So that was a good example of like that kind of play scenario where they've got to come up with stuff versus just doing the action so. and it's and it's not being married to your plan yeah I think which is um, something that I've fallen foul many a time where you've you've spent that time planning and by hook or by crook I'm going to this is getting delivered this is getting delivered. <laughs> you're, you're having it and that was, and that, was really, that, that was a really good example of it and the, and the other one just to touch on what you were saying there is probably this um, and this is like I'm asking people to think that if anyone's listening out there as whatever environment you're working in as a goalkeeping coach, so put, but being an academy coach, a grassroots coach, running a soccer school, you know, all that kind of stuff, picture yourself on the grass coaching. If you're the academy manager or a parent, a paying parent, um, uh, an elite player's parent, 
and you go to watch a goalkeeping session, what things are you expecting to see? So go on, Jack, give me some things as an academy manager or a head of coaching or a manager of a club. You know, as as um, you know, as as uh, Marco Silva walks past this session, or um, or Brendan, or right down to the grassroots. You know, your coach. You, what do you expect to see your goalkeeping session looking like? Um, good question. Not you, the, the normal coach. How do you, oh the the out the, the yeah the outfit, the head of coach. Let's see. Yeah. Um, what would the head of coaching expect, expect to, see? to see? As they won the past from a goalkeeper, just a goalkeeper session. session. What would I want? Um, Not you. What would they want? Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, I don't know the answer. I'll answer it for you. Go so, on. head of coach, you know, academy manager or, or parent walks past the goalkeeping session, right? They expect to see um, goalkeepers working hard. That means flogging themselves, yeah. getting up and down, making multiple saves in a row. They expect to see whose voice and whose energy in the session. The coach. The coach shouting encouragement you know, instruction, information all the time. They probably expect to see the coach serving and kicking some stuff, yeah? Mm-hmm. And they expect to see probably loads of repetition of all, all that kind of stuff and it being functional and, and it all happening. When actually flip that to what the game looks like, it looks like the opposite. There's no noise from the coach, there's no service from the coach um, and random things happen all the time and lots of decisions have to be made. So what people expect to see versus what needs to be seen are two different things. So that's all, all, also a good way of looking at that question. Yeah, it's a nice nice way to put it. Um, okay then, so what, this might tie into it, but what have you changed your mind about over your coaching career or even recently? Similar to the other question really, yeah. like, I think people are, I think maybe our culture as well as, as, uh, as people of the UK are, um, I think we want everything now and everything's in a rush and we want to see the end product right now and be the best now but actually I think we just need to relax take our foot off the gas a bit and let it evolve let people try things let people take risks let people um, experiment do you think that's partly down to the smartphone technology yeah I I found that difficult over the I found that challenging over the last probably 10 years the amount of access people have got to sessions and copying people's drills and exercises without the thought and the rationale behind them has been dangerous the, the, the best sessions have got good rationale and reasoning behind them um, whereas just putting on a drill because they saw someone else do it on YouTube is really really dangerous so mm. I think just slowing down a bit especially at a younger age it doesn't matter if they can't do a certain action or technique right now what is most important is that they're, they're enjoying it They've got character, personality, belief. Um, they've got confidence. You know, they try things. That's what's most important. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, and then, lastly, what? And this could be. You can go left field and often tangents on this one if you want. Um, what have you seen, read, or heard recently that's had an impact on you? Made you think? Um, that's a difficult, a, a difficult one. I do. Uh, I'm not a big reader. Um, I, like, I prefer to listen to stuff. Um, I prefer to like read short stuff and, and kind of go back in history on quotes and successful people and successful teams. Um, nothing, nothing massively really. What are you listening to at the moment then? Listening to a lot of podcasts, um, all different types of ones around learning, around um, how people pick up ideas and 
and how cultures how culture evolves. Um, you know the best the best way to to structure structure learning and adult learning stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, nothing nothing jumps out of me. Sorry, I can't answer that question. Sorry. So on the culture then, do you? So you you've been coaching fifteen years. I've been working in the game for hmm. similar amount of time. When you look back, do you think that the culture of football in England is has changed or is changing? Yeah, I think it has changed and it is continuing to change. In what yeah. the, in what way? Um, just people being a bit more open to the po- different possibilities, uh, a bit more flexible in the thinking, to be comfortable that it can look different and it can be different. I don't think we should ever come away from what the main principles of football are, and and, and especially us, as as uh, in our case as Englishmen, um, should should be around. You know what our strengths are as a nation. We are an island. You know. Um, we, we do um, we do go into battle historically they've gone into battle and that's that's built into us you know we survive so we've got to we've got to tap into that and make sure we don't come away from it completely but at the same time embrace some of the culture and approach that, that the foreign game has brought us which would be more about the risk and adaptability stuff and the more laid back approach because yeah, I know that's something that um, that's happened quite a lot on camp where the, the teams are being um challenge to recognise who we are mm. as a nation and as a team yeah. I don't know if there's anything you can share about the stuff that you've done with the players on camp around that identity I think it's probably just been a bit more open about it and around being a, you know sometimes we presume that we we kind of know what our identity is and it might be might be it might have been become a little bit lost and a little bit a little bit um, a little bit grey so I think it's just been a bit clearer around this is this is what we are about as a nation and how does that? What does that? How does that play out in your world or in your situation as a 15-year-old lad or a 19-year-old girl? And how do how does it play out on the pitch and mm. how we behave off the pitch and stuff? So just all understanding where we come from and, and how we are and how we act. So yeah. I think that would be the only insight into it. Yeah, there's no there's no magic potion with it by any means. So. No, no. I'm not sure if there's any of those. No, I'm just questions that we. Someone we've... asked about Peter Schmidt or Ray Clemens. Um, <laughs> Ray Clemens, definitely. Uh, the largest hands of any man I've ever shot. Largest hands, yeah. Um, big hands help. Uh, he, it, no, he, the way he played the game and a bit how I went back before, he was a thinking goalkeeper. He was proactive. He took risks. Um, he was, I, I really liked, liked the way he played the game mm. and, and thought outside thought outside the box, yeah. Certainly well thought of in these parts. Yeah, absolutely, mm. yeah. Uh, I think we've been quite clear around decision making uh, in practices uh, rather than, you know, implied techniques I think we've probably touched on that um, there's, there's a good question around rotation and goal at a young age I don't think you can put it in as a rule but I think we could definitely say it's something that we should follow around giving people a, a turn in goal and a turn out mm. yeah I think that'd be good yeah. uh, but no I think we've um, best GK of all time um, I'm a massive fan of, of um, uh, Lev Yashin he was amazing really liked watching it I know it was all them years ago but wow he did play the game in a in an aggressive manner, and his physical attributes, you know, he, he maximised them to what the game needed. So that was that was that one. Um, I think that's about it, really. I think we've covered everything. We have. We've gone. We've gone through it all. Um, Tim, it's been uh, been fantastic to have you. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, no, it's been fine. I, I think I've probably waffled on a bit, and maybe not been as as clear as I would have liked to have been, but. I think that probably sums up the game and, and football that it is a game of opinions and they're constantly changing there isn't one one size fits all 
and um, yeah. No, I think it's just it's good to turn these things off for a couple of hours and sit down and have a, a proper conversation yeah. that, that doesn't necessarily happen too often these days. So, yeah. no, I really, really thank you for giving up your time there, mate. I no really problem. appreciate it. Actually, timely because um, if if people want more content or want more stuff, I know you've written some articles that are on the boot room. Yes. That'd be right. Yeah, some, some stuff on the boot room. Um, some of the materials around the DNA stuff, the characteristics and the how we play is is out there as well on, on it's on the boot room it's on courses uh, it's on the on the twitter pages and stuff so yeah. and then the goalkeeping conference is coming up isn't it yeah in, that's on the 14th of april i believe yeah, i think that's sunday the 14th of april it's yeah. a one day event this year yeah yeah um, so we've just yesterday uh, we just had confirmation of one of our guest speakers um and actually both yesterday confirmed the the guest speaker and the guest um, practical session both confirmed yesterday so can we, I'm, we no, are, I'm not going to I'm not going to say <laughs> I'm not going to say who they are uh, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this the guest presenter sorry the guest um, practical presenter um, is from a premiership club um, who were doing very well very well thought of and the guest speaker uh, will blow everyone away brilliant and then so they can uh, coaches can book onto that just fa.com I, I imagine. think so yeah, yeah. they've yeah. probably got I got a newsletter about it yesterday okay. so imagine everyone on the licensed coaches list will have got one as well um, and, and timely actually because on Tuesday night uh, so that is what are we today the 1st yeah. 5th 5th of February um, we've got Keith Reese um, doing a, a, a goalkeeping CPD event at the County FA Brilliant. is so this, that, that this Tuesday this coming Tuesday Brilliant. yeah so get this out today Friday, um, Keith's doing a CPD event Tuesday night um, down at Liverpool FA. That's free to book on. Yeah. Uh, I think six thirty to nine thirty. Um, so you can book on at liverpoolfa.com. Very good. So I think we're just about covered. Yeah, fantastic. Real. Tim, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming down, mate. I really appreciate it. So I'm glad we uh, we put it in. I have an aircut for it as well for the podcast. You, you look great <laughs> for the audio version. <laughs> and uh, let's hope that the, the YouTube live went, went okay. We'll check on that in a second. So, uh, yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate no it. Good stuff. All Cheers, right. mate. Bye then. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.